You're listening to KenCast. This episode was recorded in front of a live internet audience. And here's your host, Ken Cole. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another KenCast. We're very excited to have you here today. We have a great show for you. The next Karate Kid. A lot of focus has been put on the first parts of the Karate Kid movies, parts one through three. But there's a fourth part to the Karate Kid saga starring Mr. Miyagi, and it's been a bit overlooked over the years. So today, we're looking forward to having an in-depth discussion about the next Karate Kid. And in order to have this discussion, we're doing something we've never done before, ever. We are inviting the Last Row podcast to be a part of KenCast. They have a unique way of approaching all these movies, and I'm so excited to do this. So buckle up, and we are about to start a new episode of The Last Row Podcast. I'm so excited. Here we go. Colonel, she wants to fight me. Mr. Miyagi, if I'm ever going to respect myself, I have to do this. Judy's on right. Now he's time. You're going to do this? You put her away. Do you understand me? Sure. Dude. Put her away? Is he implying, like, murder? Right, <laughs> roll her up in the roll her up in the dock to get in the water because you can't put her away in, at the prom, right? No, you, so you can't have a murder at a prom. That just instantly kills the party. You can't murder them. Then you got to dispose of the body. The dock is conveniently available. Yeah. They could just dump her over the side. I mean, I, that's what I assumed that they were doing, right? Yeah, because yeah, there's no other. There's no twisting the words "put her away." He was out for yeah. murder. I mean, I don't know. This is a diabolical plan, and we'll have to talk about this when we hit up the villain scale. We got, we got to see where Dugan stands. But hey, everybody, welcome to a special episode of the Last Row Podcast here on the KenCast. If you have not heard of our show, we are called the Last Row Podcast. If you're looking for our website or checking out some of our back catalog, check out thelastrowpodcast.com. Follow us on all the social channels. Our handles are at the Last Row Pod. We are also all over wherever you find your podcasts. Hit us up on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you download and, and subscribe to podcasts. If you're enjoying this show and you enjoy any of our other episodes, please consider leaving us a five-star review. But let me say, I am so excited to be here with you guys today. I'm so excited to talk about this movie, which I admittedly have not seen. How are you, Badway? How's it going, man? Doing well. This is the best day of my life, Drew. Best day of my life. Because we're doing the next Karate Kid, I I admit myself, I have not seen this movie uh, since uh, like two days ago. So um, <laughs> it kind of escaped me for probably first first thirty seven eight. I don't, I don't know how old I am. Thirty seven, thirty eight years of my life. Uh, mixed feelings about it. We'll get into it. Um, it released August third, nineteen ninety four, and uh, let's let's get Ken back in here. Uh, Ken, star of the show. Hey, um, hey. <laughs> hey. Welcome to your hey, channel. Alex. Where were <laughs> you, you on August 3rd, 1994, Ken? Uh, were you in the theater? Where, did you have your tickets pre-sale? Or uh, did, did it escape you for a while, too? You know, thinking back all those years, I have no clue where I was, but I know where I was not. And that's <laughs> in line to see the next Karate Kid. It was vaguely interesting to me, but I just it was one of those things where I just couldn't go to the theater. I don't know if it was the fact that I was a teenage boy, it was a movie about a girl, I know I admit I was I was immature, but it's the way these things go. Uh, but uh, so, no, it was probably about a year later when it was on video. That's when I first saw it. 
Yeah, and I think we'll get into that topic later about uh, releasing it as the quote-unquote girl uh, karate kid, and uh, maybe the people weren't ready for it. So uh, we'll get into that later. So uh, runtime, one hour, 47 minutes. Guys, too, too long. Too high. Too long. Way too long. <laughs> <laughs> 10 minutes shorter, please. Yeah, I mean, under two hours is great, but I mean, this this felt like a three-hour movie. I don't know how you guys felt. Yeah. Um, <laughs> had some good, had some bad. We'll get into all of it, but... Uh, for one thing, I mean, they could have tripped 20 minutes off this thing. Let, let, let's have it under 90. <laughs> it had its ups and downs. Yeah. Under 90 people. Uh, action slash drama directed by Christopher Kane. What do you guys know about Christopher Kane? I know nothing. Nothing. Uh, he directed Young Guns, guys. Young Guns. Oh, yeah, that's oh. right. So it was it was all downhill from Young Guns then after that. Yeah, Great movie. Great. He also did Gone Fishing. I don't know if you guys ever saw that. Joe Pesci. Uh, no. Dave Lover. Oh, um, no, I missed it. Yep. And that was about it. The rest of it was unremarkable. Uh, IMDb 4.5 out of 10. Too high. It's uh, too high. Maybe too high. Res- respectfully too high. Uh, Round Tomato 7%. Too low. Come on. That's too disrespectful. That's about right. That's about right. It's, it's, come on. Too low. Too, 36% too low. Metacritic. Too high. Way too high. That's about right. It's amazing. Letter, letterbox 2.1 out of 5. Surprisingly, about right. I contributed to that. I gave it a 2 out of 5, to be honest, on Letterbox. Follow yeah. me at DAR268. Ken, our patented two questions on the letterbox. Ken, was it good and did you like it? <laughs> it was not good and I kind of liked it. That's same. And that's yeah. a two. That's yeah. two out of five. That's a... yeah. <laughs> it was not good and I kind of liked it too. I did like it, surprisingly. Yeah. I, I had this roller coaster of like, I hated the first 20, 30 minutes of it. And then I loved it. Then I hated it again. And then at the end, I was like, you know what? Not so bad. Yeah. I like the end. That I'm a fan. So what does this about you guys? Karate master Mr. Miyagi goes to Boston to attend a military union. Well, it's kind of a funeral, isn't it? More of... I, I guess it was like a memorial or something. Like a memorial. There he visits with Louisa, a.k.a. Grandma, the widow of his former commander, and meets her granddaughter, Julie. Julie's parents were recently killed in a car accident. They died. How recent? And she, is my <laughs> and she is still reeling from the loss. When Julie surprises Miyagi with her knowledge of karate, he takes her to a Buddhist monastery for training and to help her come to terms with her teen angst, you guys. Surprisingly an accurate synopsis. Yeah, Surprisingly bad. accurate. This is one of the better ones that we've had on this show before. Let me tell you that. <laughs> so uh, let's let's go over some taglines. You know, sometimes we get like 30 of these things. We've only got two this time, and you guys be the judge. We'll see if these hold up to some of the last row tagline Hall of Fame entries. The first one, the next Karate Kid, who says the good guy has to be a guy. Pass. Don't like it. Let's not call it out. Let's not call it out. I don't like it. Nose, isn't it? Uh, Okay, how about this one? The next Karate Kid, it's ancient wisdom against teenage. 1,000 years of karate tradition is about to get a kick in the pants. Too I don't hard. hate it, but it's very 90s, right? Like but if you're it's 94, very... it's, you know, what are you going to do, right? It's very, it's very 90s. What do you think, Ken? <laughs> it's like that time when, remember back in the 80s and 70s where you'd see a movie poster and the tagline would be a paragraph and yeah. it would basically be about that. It would be like reading a book. I hate and it. then in the yeah. night, yeah, in the '90s, like this is kind of like in the middle of that. It's like it's too much. It's maybe for people who are bored in the in the uh, theater lobby, like just reading the poster or something like that. <laughs> so it's okay, but like it doesn't work as like a punchy tagline. What about? Oh, go ahead. No, go for it. I was just gonna say, what about the financials? So if you got another comment, go for it. 
Uh, yeah, it felt like it was shot like with uh, with with like a handheld camera, like a Sony, right? It, sometimes <laughs> it seemed like it was shot with like a Sony handheld. Maybe somebody's dad was shooting it, you know. And uh, yeah, and it seemed like maybe I don't know what the shooting schedule was like, but it seemed to me like this entire movie was done in one take. Like no matter if the line was read good or bad or indifferent, they were like next, great, next, next, next. <laughs> That's why you get a lot of this point in acting. I feel in this movie. I, I will say this. They did not have a shoestring budget. So I'll, we'll give it to them. They somehow were given a check for $12 million. Now, that's not a lot, but it's also not a little bit. Now, how did they spend that? Maybe they, they bought an Oldsmobile 442. They bought maybe that sweet Jeep that, that uh, Ned had. They rented out a school gymnasium, maybe maybe a school area. I don't know. But they had $12 million estimated. So it wasn't, a, it wasn't many. I like to think that for realism's sake, they did get that Oldsmobile from a junkyard and had a guy paid them to restore it. You know, restored the, it. The realism. And then when they blew it up, he shed a tear. He was Yeah. <laughs> well, think about this, right? So this is where it starts to get interesting because this movie, they they made, apparently the cumulative worldwide gross was about 15 million. And there's disputed, there's disputed things here because if you look at the original Karate Kid, and this is according to IMDb, the Karate Kid 84 made around 90 million. So that's a that's a big haul, right? And then Karate Kid Part Two grossed 115. So that's that's a lot more. But then you look at Karate Kid Three, which was 38, so it went down. This one ultimately made you know this this 8.9 or whatever, and then the 15, whatever it is, who knows? But it, it was significantly less, which kind of leads me to my next point. We start talking about awards. So on the last road podcast, we talk a lot about what awards is this one. This was a winner of a prestigious award from 1994. If you guys are not familiar with the Stinkers Bad Movie Awards, this thing went home with the sequel that nobody was clamoring for, which I got to say is accurate. Like they tried to reboot it. They tried to turn this into maybe a new franchise or or sort of breathe some new life into it. But, you know, you go from 1989 to 1994. It's five years later. You introduce a new cast. Pat Morita holds this thing together, which we'll get to later. Kind of not really something that people were asking for, right, guys? Kind of like the 2010 remake. What do you think about that? Yeah, you're right. I mean, with the with the Karate Kid three, you know, I mean, we're on record. Obviously, we love Karate Kid three, um, but with it not doing so well, um, the fact that they want to wait five years and then do like a soft reboot without Larusso, it was definitely a big risk, and it's and, and unnecessary seems like the right word. Yeah, I agree. I mean, what do you think? And do you think this thing needed to be made? I, you know, it's, it's weird because if you look at the original Karate Kid movie and then there was two years until Karate Kid 2 and then another three years until Karate Kid 3. And then this was five years after Karate Kid 3. And it just seemed like, uh, it was maybe too late. Like yeah. if they were going to do this, they should have done it maybe two or three years after the Karate Kid 3, but there was such a big gap that, uh, you know, me as a young karate kid fan, you know, I was, I had kind of moved on a little bit from then for, you know, and that while they could have captured the same audience, I think if they had released it sooner. So yeah, it was, it was kind of one of those things where no one really asked for it. And the, the original fans were probably a little too old for it. And yeah. yeah. And, and I could be off base on this cause I don't know previous generations. Obviously I wasn't, you know, around, I was a kid when I, when this came out, but doesn't it seem like today and like maybe the last 10, our generation of the last 15, 20 years, are more into like nostalgia of our childhood than something like this to where like and like you said maybe teenagers moved on they're not they weren't as likely back then as a teenager or someone in the early 20s to dip back into the childhood of the 90s uh, of the early of the of the late 80s and early 80s than maybe if 
a five-year gap would have happened today. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, it's like we have all our toys when we're young and there's a phase where we get older and, you know, we throw out our He-Man and Transformers toys and then we grow up and we get nostalgic and we're like, oh no, those were worth money. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like, you know, I think everyone goes through that and we do that with movies too. Yeah. yeah. And this, this could have been the thing of maybe too soon, right? I mean, it's too, maybe five years is too soon. Like we might as well make the gap large. Well, to the fans of Karate Kid, maybe are into their thirties, then then maybe they would have been more successful. Obviously, different actors, and then yeah, you know, maybe Pat wouldn't have been wouldn't have been up to the task, and they might have tried to strike while while they had him. So, yeah. Well, look at 2010, right? So we we mentioned the 2010 remake with Jackie Chan and Jaden Smith. That actually made, I think, according to IMDb, it was around 171 million. So it was ready, even though I really didn't have much interest in watching it because I, I didn't really want to see the the series rebooted at that point but it certainly did well with you know fans I don't remember the critical uh, scores of that but it certainly made money for for what it was at that time so like you said too soon maybe that was just right in terms of timing to go that much further mm-hmm. so um what do you say Ken should we take a comment break before we jump into the discussion yeah, let's let's take a look at the comments. Rice Production says, Ken Cole, did you know that one of the monks in the next Karate Kid was in the Karate Kid 2? I did not know that. Did awesome. you guys know that? I, did, I definitely did not. It's that guy from that thing. There you go. <laughs> there we go. Yes. Kate Maloney, thank you for being a channel member. The intent was good, but very misguided. Don't disagree with that. I don't disagree. Pretty, pretty accurate. And uh, Jaws says, the pizza guy is one of the best things about the next Karate Kid. We'll talk about pizza, Jaws. I forgot about the pizza guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he profusely apologizes, but, he's, but he has to go. He's got does, to go. Does he go into that guy Hall of Fame? I mean, we got to talk about the, so 2023 awards, get it ready. Add him to that. That guy, it's a small part, but he did great. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, thanks for your comments. And uh, let, let's let's dive back into the next Karate Kid. Yeah, let's let's jump into the into the chat here. So we talked a little bit about this movie and I want to ask you guys and it's just maybe just outright and we'll come back to this at the end. So we'll touch on it a little bit. I'm going to start with you Ken. Is it really that bad? And are there any worthwhile elements? We used to talk about we we look at the silver linings on our show. What are the positive things that you can take from a movie even if it's not critically acclaimed? Is it really that bad? G- give me your thoughts. It's tough because there are elements in here that I like as a fan. And I think maybe someone who hasn't seen a Karate Kid movie actually might like some of this, but I don't think there's any way you could say this is like a good movie. Yeah. You know, so is it that bad? <laughs> it it could be, but I, you know, you talked about the Karate Kid 3 being like a good bad versus a good good movie. This might be kind of a good bad movie, maybe, but yeah. um, I don't know, but I'll have to have you guys convince me. I don't know. <laughs> What, what, what do you think, think that way? Yeah, it's, it's a pretty bad movie, right? Um, but it certainly has redeeming qualities. One, Pat Morita, Miyagi knocked it out of the park. One of my favorite performances of his. Like, it's it's crazy to say, but he made a lot with a little in this movie. And I, I feel like the reason why is, so the script is pretty terrible, right? Like, let's be honest with that. Yeah. Uh, new writers and um, this particular writer, honestly, I didn't write his name down. I forget his name. It's fine. Um, I, uh, he went on to just pretty much not do anything and then like kind of like fall face of the earth in Hollywood. So it's probably a good reason for that. But <laughs> I feel like you can't write the Miyagi character bad because whatever you have down for what Miyagi's going to say, uh, Pat's going to put a, his own twist on it, right? So it's almost impossible for him to read some a, a, a line of dialogue poorly. Yeah. Because 
he more than anyone has free reign to like because because this is an established character and he has kind of free reign to to speak that line however he sees fit yeah and honestly he knows best so he's kind of like bulletproof for this for this movie and he clearly was a standout he absolutely was the standout star to this i also love michael ironside and we'll definitely talk about him later but i loved pat marita in this this might be blasphemy to say but like i actually liked his performance in this in some ways better than some of the the parts of the original trilogy not really but but sort of and the reason why i say that is because of the relationship with him and julie and just how wise he was and like you said this guy put on an acting clinic when he didn't have much to work with. So Pat Morita is a legend and we miss him to this day. And he he was amazing in this. And it reminded me how much, because I've been so focused on watching Cobra Kai and, and all that, it reminded me how awesome Miyagi was. Like you, you sometimes you need a refresher. You know how awesome he is, but you kind of need to be reminded again. And he's so wise and he has amazing lessons. But do you think that the movie strayed too far from the formula? So we talked a little bit about it being maybe in Boston versus California. That was a thing. It was in not in the 80s. So that was a piece of this. And then you had, Ken, you mentioned this earlier, maybe audience ex- audiences expecting to see Danielson instead of, uh, you know, a new character that, that you know, let's call it what it is. Some people just did not watch it, unfortunately, because it had a female protagonist, which is unfortunate. But that might be something. I mean, do you, do you bad way, do you think that that strayed too far from the formula and maybe it tried to, to do too much? I thought I, I didn't think it strayed too far, and I thought maybe they could have gone even further. Because um, if you're going to do that five year gap, and you have the difference between Larusso and um, and Julie here, they could have done more expanding. Um, yeah, I, uh, this is a difficult conversation to have, but I feel like it's worth mentioning about you know the quote unquote girl karate kid, and for a 1994 movie. Um, Maybe we weren't ready for that yet, and maybe since this was a quote unquote boy centric, you know, movie or karate being more boy centric than girl centric, at least like in, in the eyes of you know the general public, maybe we weren't ready for for the quote unquote girl movie. I know I'm saying quote unquote too much. I apologize. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but it's something that you could make now and nobody would care, and it'd be fine, and it would be yeah. it would be widely accepted and 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 cheered on. But back then. Um, it was almost like, oh yeah, oh, girls, they shouldn't, you know. Let's, I'm not gonna watch a girl karate kid movie. It's a dumb way to think, so but we, say that, right? uh, we uh, as a, as a people were were dumber, you know, 30 years ago <laughs> than we were now. So. Well, and and I and I think you know, I had never, and I, I said this in the beginning, I never actually watched this all the way through. I got to tell you, I have a, a a huge appreciation for Hillary Swank and the Julie Pierce character coming out of this. Like, I thought she was awesome. I thought she was cool. She was badass and i thought she was a a great character to to the the universe that got added so i can see why people want her to show back up and and to come back out into you know the the canon and, and stuff like that right good character kind of a good backstory and um and motivation but again terrible terrible lines to say and also she was young she was 20 and she wasn't that great but you could talk still chalk it up to youth and chalk it up to her learning eventually obviously Five years later, boys don't cry. Oscar nom, yeah. Oscar nom or Oscar win? I forget. She won for Million Dollar Baby, I believe. She won for Million Dollar. She was nominated for yeah. for supporting actress, I think. So, so yeah, she was still young. I'm not faulting her at all, but look, <laughs> you say it's the good with the bad. And yeah, Julie does definitely have a lot of redeeming qualities and and good motivation for her character being as a uh, as angsty as it was. I think you know there there's one thing that we need to kind of just highlight here, and I'm gonna say like, what was she working with? 
So we have to talk about this dialogue a little bit, and I'm just going to play a clip for you guys because I think that this will help you understand. It reminds me a lot of the Star Wars prequels when you have Natalie Portman who won an Oscar later or, or was nominated for an Oscar, right? She, uh, Black Swan, amazing actress. Hilary Swank, again, an amazing actress. Didn't have a lot to work with. Just listen to this for a second, okay? Like, just just listen to 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 what she had to work with. He teach you father. Your father teach you. And then they died. Everybody died. Like, does that not remind you of, like, the Star Wars prequels with the, some of the writing? Like, again, Pat Morita acting his heart out there. She tried. Like, how are you supposed to... It's very cool dialogue. Like, it's not in a way that I feel like she could knock it out of the park. That's really hard. It's a hard yep. to do. So. I don't watch space movies, Drew, so I don't know what you're talking about with Star Wars, but... <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, definitely. It's, it's, it's brutal out there, some of those lines, but... And again, I feel like it just feels the movie feels rushed. I feel like maybe if she spit a line out, it didn't sound right. They're like, next, good, good enough, next, let's go. It it seemed just like a fast paced shoot. I, I it's kind of hard to say that it comes across like that when watching a movie, but yeah, it screams to me that way. So I don't know. I the, the other thing we sh we got to touch on, and then we'll jump into maybe some of the characters here. But the other thing that I think is is worth calling out is this movie had more of an outright comedic feel than some of the original trilogy movies. They had funny moments and maybe some moments of of levity where, you know, maybe Miyagi's doing something kind of funny, like honking Kreese's nose or whatever it is, right? Or someone. But like there was Miyagi walking into Julie Pierce in her room and then they made this really awkward, weird joke about it. There was the monks dancing to the cranberries. There was the whole scene of Mr. Miyagi buying a dress. Like, did you guys feel that? And, and Ken, I don't know if you have any specific thoughts on this, but like, did you feel that the comedy made it feel differently or, or made it work or didn't work? I thought... I'm going into this as a fan, you know, as a kid, a fan of the Karate Kid movies. I felt like that tone was wrong for a Karate Kid movie. Like the first three Karate Kid movies were really sort of heightened documentaries. It was like really approached like a documentary film. And then this is kind of like your standard, maybe 90s family movie, you know, comedy beats that I just felt like maybe they were trying to do something new, but it, it felt wrong to the legacy of the series to me. It kind of, it took me out of that kind yeah. of warm, fuzzy place. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. What do you think, Badway? Yeah, definitely. And even like the, the confusing way that Julie was written to where she was very serious and very upset about the loss of her parents, but she like acted out in like weird jokes that would she threw out insults that that tried to land as jokes so it's the juxtaposition just didn't work and i don't know it's just it didn't it didn't feel right like yeah. i but i understand why yeah ken's right it's definitely it's very 90s of it 90s family film to to do it this way and i'm fine with them taking the risk on it as well like, you might as well it's five years later it's a new right. it's a new take on the series but i don't know it just didn't land and what do you have it's, it's the writing it's the writing. <laughs> what do you have to lose there uh so I don't know. Should we take another quick comment break, Ken? And then we'll jump into Julie Pierce. Absolutely. Guys, thank you for your amazing comments. We're going to get your thoughts in this discussion as well. Uh, Jay says, the Alpha Elite are cool. It's hard to see Miyagi get dumped on so hard by Julie. Way harsher than Daniel. I can't That's disagree with that. <laughs> yeah. Miyagi can take it, though. He can take it. He knows. He, knows he was very zen about it. He knew exactly how to handle it. <laughs> 
Uh, Nerd World says, my favorite is that Jack Pierce gave Mr. Miyagi dance lessons <laughs> and <laughs> Miyagi taught him karate. An unseen friendship and possibly spinoff idea? Where's the prequel? Where, where are the deleted scenes where we get the flashbacks? <laughs> Kate Maloney, thanks for being a channel member, Kate. Uh, whoever edited Karate Kid 3 edited this movie. It wasn't tight and meandered when it should have had us getting to know Julie better. What, what do you guys think? Fair. Fair. Fair, but I, I love, Kate knows this about me, but I can't say anything negative about Karate Kid 3, so I have to, <laughs> I'm not allowed right. to blaspheme against that movie. It's my favorite movie. Karate Kid 3 had a cheat code, though. I mean, it was Derek yeah. Silver Show, so I mean, exactly. whatever faults are like, is completely just overshadowed by, by Terry Silver. Good take. Obviously, obviously it's a flawed movie, but. We have a couple of early comments about Eric, and we might get back to this, but oh, yeah. uh, Jaws says, I think the actor who played the friend of Julie Pierce had 40 years in 1994 real life. Robana says Eric's act like he was in his 40s. Yes, we will We will get to that. Um, and Lisa says, I like Next Karate Kid, but it will not be as good as one and two. Um, and then Proud Heretic says, I think there's a lot of intentional comedy in Karate Kid 4. It's one of those ones that isn't meant to be taken too seriously especially with the villain. Yeah, which throws people off because the first three are more serious with some comedic elements. And I think, you know, this comment highlights the fact that they weren't trying to hide the comedy in this. And it, it was a different, markedly different tone. And it was on purpose, right? They were they were doing that on purpose, which threw people off, I guess. I think we need to talk about Julie Pierce. So she's the star of the show. Hillary Swank, we, Hillary Swank, we touched on her a bit already. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna start with you, Badway. Is she a whiny teen or does she have a basis for acting the way that she does? We've all been teenagers here on this show at one point in our life. Can you relate to her? Do you understand what she's going this through? This is like one of those IQ test questions where like the answer is insufficient information because we don't know what she was like <laughs> pre-parents' death. You know, there's True. no way. Was she like this before? You know, I had a friend once who, who who lost a parent and they were a jerk before that and they were a jerk after that. So it's like sometimes you can't blame it on that. But, but yeah, I think based on the information we have, I think she's justified to be angry. We just, we don't know how long it's been since the tragic accident. What do you guys think? I'm thinking a year and under, if it's over a year, then unjustified. Get it. Like, I hate to say get over it, but like, let's, 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 let's start to heal your people. Right? Yeah. I don't know. I don't Maybe know. I'm sensitive for saying that. The synopsis said nothing about it. It said recent. And then I saw some things on Letterboxd where it said around four years but I don't know it's what like the actual time frame is. It felt like it was yesterday for her, it seemed, which you can understand, right? What do you think, Ken? Yeah, it seemed like it's, it was very recent in the movie, though I think this is something about the movie is that it's a bit clunky in how it deals with things. And there's probably a nice, very subtle, artistic way you could talk about her anger and being upset. But in this movie, they don't mess with that. It's like they just dump it on you so hard. Like, she is yeah. so rude. And... um I think maybe that's probably, again, the script issues. It's kind of like the approach is just like, let's get it out there. Let's hit him over the head with it. The thing that really stands out is her the relationship with her and her grandmother. And when I, as someone who had not really fully seen this all the way through, watching this for the first time, going through this the other day, I could not get over how mean she was to her grandmother. And I think this relationship needs some breaking down. But before we do that, I want to play you guys a clip because I think this clip's going to set up this and it sort of helps answer some of the stuff that we just talked about. So let's let's hear a little bit about Julie's relationship with her grandma. Let's just listen to this for a second. Now you've got to tell me what you want. What I want is for you to leave me alone. Where are you going? Susan! My name is Julie. My mother's name was Susan. 
She was killed in a car accident with my father, and they're both dead. Now, justified or unjustified? Badway, what do you think? Get called your, your mom's name? Yeah, I, that, that happens all the time. I, I don't know if... You, true, have you been called by your brother's name, by your parents, by accident? Of course. I'm sure it happens all the time. My grandmother uh, didn't call me my dad's name, so I don't yeah. know if that makes it different. I'm, I'm friends with a set of brothers. They're four brothers, right? And then and their mom, nice nice lady, the mom. <laughs> she always used to, like, when she's yelling at one, like, say Michael did something wrong. She would go, Tony, Joey, Phil, Michael. Like, they would be the last one spit out. Like, that happens, all right? So I'm not going to fault her for that, right? Sure, it's a trigger for the for the trauma, but she's going through it too. Her 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 child died, right? Yeah, it was her. They're going uh, through it together. Yeah, it's her daughter. She's right? Trying, she's trying to pick the pieces up. Grandma's uh, doing the grandma. best she could. She's doing the best she yeah. could. By the way, Costas Towers, shout out to her. She's uh ninety years old this year and still acting, wow. still going. All right, that's awesome. Best best known for General Hospital. She was like this ruthless villain in General Hospital in the nineties. I, be I believe. I didn't watch it, but I saw it on IMDb, so I figured I shot her out as a 90-year-old, still still put in that work, you know? Is, is the General Hospital character also a grandmother of a <laughs> orphan teenager yeah. that was, maybe that's why she hates connected. her so much. <laughs> connected, right? <laughs> but I mean, think about it, like, I wish she'd shut up and leave me alone. Like, these are, these are, we talk about the dialogue, we talk about the way that she's treating her grandmother. For all intents and purposes, I mean, from what we've seen, we think the grandma's trying Right? I mean, what do you I think, think And Is she trying? What? What? Is, what? Can you false her for this? Yeah, she's definitely trying. I think she's actually really nice. I mean, I've, you know, I'm talking from my own experience, like where grand grandmothers can be very harsh sometimes. And I feel like um, Julie's grandmother is actually pretty nice. She's trying. And it does feel like Julie's going a bit overboard. And yeah, yeah, I, I, I think I think she's trying her best. I feel very upset at someone who's treating their grandmother that way, but I guess at the same time, I don't know what she's going through and it's rough, but man, I wish you'd shut up and get out of my life. I mean, this is like Napoleon Dynamite territory here, right? <laughs> Again, incomplete information, insufficient information here, guys. We don't know. It's that there's a generational gap we're dealing with here. I mean, obviously she means well, the grandma, right? But we don't know if she's on her case constantly, always nagging, always saying, that's not what your mother would do. That's not, yeah. you know, did your mother raise you to do that? I didn't raise my my daughter to do that. We don't know what's going on. It kind of seems like there's some of that going on. And they're both kind of like exasperated with each other. They both love each other. They both want it to work, but maybe they're not they're not meant to live under the same roof, you know? Fair That's point. what I think is going on here. Mm -hmm. Fair point. And, and so we got to talk about this because I don't know if this also shows who she is. Julie's going through a rough patch. Mr. Miyagi's in town. She says, hey, Mr. Miyagi, and he he knows because he's wise, right? Mr. Miyagi knows. He's like, I'm going to help you out. I got this. I got this, guys. I got it. So he wants to send her on a vacation to his house out in California, right? It's a job. Is it a job? I don't know. Did she pay him? I don't I She let him Term, sleep in her bed. Terms weren't, terms weren't <laughs> discussed, but he sent her over there, I think, to like tend to his garden. Maybe she's like a professional botanist or something. And they should I, say it. But maybe, but did he only say that so that Julie wouldn't think that grandma was running out on her? It's like, hey, she's not really leaving. I need her to go take care yeah, of my flowers. There has to be a cover. It's not like she's gonna, they're going to tell Julie, hey, look, we're doing the swap here because you're acting like a jerk. And I know what to do with, with whiny teens. Hey, you know, I've, <laughs> I've had my share. So I know what's going on here. I feel like you can't just say that. So you got to say, oh, yeah, grandma's going to tend to my vast Dude, garden in California. Isn't that the new, like, I'm, I'll be back. I'm going to 
get a pack of cigarettes. Hey, I'm flying to California to 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 water water Mr. Miyagi's yeah. plants. She never it was definite. again. And she was legitimately bummed that she left. Like her birthday was next week or something. It's like she was literally <laughs> oh, I guess she forgot it was my birthday. She never yeah, maybe grandma that. did forget it was your birthday. If you weren't such a jerk all the time, maybe she would have bought you a present. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, how about the fact that like you got this this girl, she already hates her grandma. Here comes in this old man friend that she has no idea who the heck this guy is. And and he starts snooping around asking his teachers about grades. Oh, I'm gonna just listen to this guy here. Oh, they just listen to this guy. It's living in my grandma's bedroom house. Like yeah. what what like what are the realistic situation that she's even gonna listen to this guy? He he definitely wore down, right? A teenage girl, like honestly, like she would have had, she would have been having none of it, right? <laughs> like, and she did for a minute, but like maybe, maybe that's the magic of Miyagi. Like he just, he knows exactly. He never overreacted. Very calm, and I think she picked up on his calmness right away. Can I, can I circle back real quick to the yeah, argument where please. like she's talking? Oh, our parents are. I'm not Susan. I'm Julie. My parents are dead. Miyagi's in the background during that argument. Like, isn't that one of those types of arguments? Where you ever been in an argument in a house with a friend? And they're having a real serious argument, and you kind of just want to like slink out of the you house. Homer Simpson into the hedges. There is what you do. That's that's, that's what you do. Well, look at the time. I keep telling you guys. He's <laughs> around. I mean, if, if he's sticking around for that, then then he's it. He's in. he stayed. I mean, he stayed. He's in there for the long yeah. haul. I I I have another question about this too. And and look, we could talk about the plot all day, but I want to pick at the things beyond the plot. I want to think about the things that nobody's asked before. Which house did he send her to? So she thinks she's going on this vacation to California. Oh, Mr. Miyagi, he's sending me he's sending me to California. Wouldn't it be something if he sent her to the apartment complex office? She's got he's got bonsai trees in there. She thinks she's gonna be at at, at the Miyagi Do karate dojo in the Zen Garden. Where did she go? Where yeah. was that? All of a sudden she didn't know what she's signing up for that she's the she's the maintenance lady. She's the landlady, <laughs> right? She's got the keys. She's gonna <laughs> She get she gave him a job. He's given her a job. That's yeah. that's what she did. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's only fair, right? And uh, you, cycle back. You you touched on this briefly. I wanted to bring it back up. The the whole he slept in her bed. Right? Yeah, you, you brought that up. I know you think that's a violation, right? It's not a bed and breakfast, right? What is it? I don't right. know. Like he like he should there should have been a guest bed. Like you gotta have respect for the homeowner. You don't sleep in the bed. You're not. You're, it's like if your parents are away for a few days, the kid can sleep in, in the parents' bed, right? Right. Not but, a friend. Yeah, it's kind of awkward. Do you think he went under the covers or do you think he had a separate cover on top? Because no. that would have been at least a little respectful. You got to go on top of the duvet and then you get yeah. a blanket yeah. on top of that. That's right. respectful. You don't go in yeah. the covers. You don't go in the... If you, if you go on the bed, it's like half respectful. If it's a violation. In the bed, that's full-blown disrespectful, right? <laughs> Are we crazy, Ken? Yeah, Ken, do you, no. do you have any opinions on this? Look, I, I don't want to be ageist or anything, but like... Looking at this from a younger person's perspective, I think that's kind of something maybe older people do. Like they don't care, yeah. uh, like or at least of that generation, it's kind of like understood. If you're like washing the house, you can sleep in the master bed, and uh, so I, like, I didn't get any weird vibes from that. But I, I will bring up. You guys brought up a great point about where where is she going to stay in California, and is Daniel still living with Mr. Yeah. Miyagi? Because remember, he had his own room. It's like his mom was never around. So is like Daniel going to be living there and she's just going to show up or did <laughs> Daniel move on? You know, yeah, there's I, a second movie here. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. There's a second movie right <laughs> there. Where were the, where, I mean, we don't want the movie to be two hours. We know this, but it's going to add some cuts over, you know, maybe what if, you know, there's a phone call going on between Julie and grandma. And then there's maybe, 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 um, maybe LaRusso didn't sign on to do the movie. And, uh, but there's like a background, there's a character just like, putting in work on a, on a, on a punching bag 
and like you can assume that is Daniel, you know. But uh, but about the bed thing, what we're thinking about, I know we, we won't linger too much. No, on these it. are the important things. We need I to feel do. like Miyagi seems like the type of you know older gentleman that doesn't like splurge. You know, he kind of like keeps his finances, you know, in, in the bank. He doesn't like to splurge. So at home, I bet he sleeps on like a flat board, right, or a very very stiff single mattress. Like a unassuming, cot. it's fine for him. He, he he could afford a bed, but he just chooses not to spend his money on that. He sat down on that bed at grandma's house, and it was like, what have I been missing? <laughs> and he ordered he ordered like the fanciest bed that night for his house. And then conversely, grandma goes over to his house, and she's sleeping on the flat bed. She's like, what's going on? No, that that's why that's why he stayed because of the bed. He went, yeah. he was too comfortable. He's, he didn't know what he was missing. He's yeah. not going home. I'll yeah. deal with this Julie Pierce character yeah. just for this bed. I finally yeah, got a good nice sleep and like. <laughs> Months after Julie's been, you know, cured and assimilated back to like normal society and she's acting normal and everything. We got rid of the, we got rid of all the bullies. Miyagi's on the phone with grandma saying, yep, she's still, she's still a jerk. I got, I got some more work to do here. You stay there. (laughs) Don't come back. Get more nights in that bed. Don't come back. We need you. We need you. (laughs) Let's talk about, let's talk about Miyagi because we could talk about grandma and Julie, but clearly she leaves. I don't know what that says about her. I think it, she trusts Miyagi. He knows what he's doing. This guy has done this before. He's been in. He's put the work in with Danielson. Who knows how many other teenagers he's mentored in the past. Guy knows what he's doing. Can we just talk about, like, did it mean anything for you guys? Like I said at the beginning, to see Pat Morita back, and we talked about him putting on an acting clinic. Clinic. Did you take anything away from the way that he tailored his style to Julie versus maybe the way he he hit up Daniel? And and I don't know, bad way, why don't you go first? Yeah, he learned quickly that this is different. He, he, under his breath multiple times, boys easier, boys different, right? So he learned quickly that wax on, wax on wasn't going to work. So he had to put the Nerf commercial in there and the babysitter <laughs> gig, which I don't know if, you know, dodging Nerf bullets is equivalent to like wax on, wax off or, or defense in karate. Like, sir, there's a little bit of this, a little bit of that, but I've done this plenty of times. I don't know. I can't block a puncher or kick from anybody. <laughs> but, he was preparing her for the yeah. arrow to the chest. Yeah. That's what he was preparing her for. But other than that, I mean, it wasn't a boy versus girl thing. It was kind of like Miyagi sees, he, he assessed the situation. He saw what was going on. He knows there's a nice person under there. He know he knew her father, so he knows what's going on. He just take the delicate, slow approach. Okay, this didn't work. Pivot to the next thing. Pivot to the next thing. And uh, it was the best part of the movie. Their relationship it was beautiful. And uh, I'm not afraid to admit you guys. And I mean, this is a bad movie, but if it gets you to feel something, then then it's doing something right. And when he walked into that bedroom and like she had that had the prom dress on, man, I shed a tear. I'm not afraid to say it. Yeah, shed a tear. It was, it was emotional. emotional. Very it. Yeah, and they very much they quickly established that father daughter relationship type thing or father grandfather type relationship. Yeah. And it's testament to I think it's testament to Marita. So. Yeah. Which even the comedy of him shopping for the dress was kind of silly, but as a father of a daughter, like you put yourself in that situation, you're like, it's a beautiful moment, and it speaks to the way that you know dialogue might be clunky in this movie, but I think that they wrote the relationship correctly, and I think in some ways it was very different than the relationship between Daniel and Miyagi. Julie had a very different type of special relationship with him, and I think it because it wasn't about. Hey, she needs to learn martial arts. She kind of knew a lot of that already, right? He saw it. She, he knew she knew tiger stance or tiger pose, whatever it was. She knew a lot of stuff from the fact that that he trained her grandfather and, and it got passed down to her father and, and whatnot. But Ken, what did you think about seeing Marita in this? And 
did it did it do anything for you differently than maybe the original trilogy and especially the way that he handled the training and, and stuff like that yeah, I think uh, obviously Pat Morita did such an amazing job in this movie. You know, we talked about how the script was kind of thin. That dress scene where he sees her in the dress and he's crying, I agree with you, is very touching. But the script really doesn't even get into why he might be sad and the fact that his wife and unborn child died, you know, while they were in an internment camp when he was in the war. They don't bring up any of that. So he missed his chance to have a daughter, you know, yeah. and that's kind of missed, but Pat Morita brings that into the movie, which uh, he's just a master. And I will say, you know, not to go too deeply into Cobra Kai, but I think this movie shows that Mr. Miyagi is so much better than Daniel when it comes to being a teacher, yep. because Daniel keeps thinking that all the lessons Miyagi taught him were Miyagi's karate. Like that's the way it should be done. But we can see in this movie that Mr. Miyagi just tailors it to each person. And um, there's not one way to do it. And you can see how much of a master Miyagi is because he's focused on Julie and who she is as a person, what would help her. So um, I think that's a positive part of this yeah, movie. I, I totally agree with you. And and we'll talk about the ending of the movie, but I could never see Daniel saying, oh yeah, you know, let her fight in this dockside brawl with a flaming car. Like that just wouldn't happen because he would say, well, that's not what Mr. Miyagi wants. And I think... What's cool about this movie, it added another layer of the Miyagi character to me that I didn't really know was there. And I thought that that was really cool. And it was a really nice sort of addition to the mythos that I had been missing out on for, you know, the last 30 years here. It, his his uh, performance alone makes the movie worth seeing. So yeah. I was, you know, I might not have seen this had we not decided to do this show here. And I'm super glad that I did because it just, it did. It, it add layers to, to Miyagi as Ms. Mythos and... It's just as essential as 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 the other three movies. Um, even if you cut out all the crap, it's just just his performance and and his character building and his his adaption and his his ability to to teach a different style. It's, it's totally worth the price of entry. So yeah, I, I you know I could go on for two hours about Mr. Miyagi here, but I I want to talk a little bit about her training before we do that. I just want to make one random observation, and it's something that we talked about when we were talking about doing the show is. Just that whole thing where you see Miyagi put into these situations where he doesn't want to fight. And the one that really stood out to me was the gas station scene when he had to beat up these guys because he pet their dog and made the dog look calm. And that offended this guy because he was so upset. Like, how could you make my mean dog? How dare you? How dare you? Now, I don't know how you guys felt about that, but do you think it was a violation for him to to maybe pet this dog? The dog was vicious in, in that moment. <laughs> like, I don't know. Well isn't it isn't a protocol to ask the owner before to, uh, can you I should. this dog i feel you like should. i feel like i feel like miyagi kind of broke protocol a little bit i don't know well at the same time though julie was being threatened by the dog True. like and so i think that was mr miyagi's way of just sort of diffusing the situation Not and being and and you know obviously i guess that guy was upset that uh, they weren't able to trap julie uh you know so i don't know i i think he probably handled it the best way he could have yeah yeah well, let's talk a little bit about the training because I, I know that we've we've talked about this a bit and we don't have to spend a ton of time on this, but we talked about her training and, and we mentioned a little bit about how she had already known sort of the 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 history of maybe Miyagi-Do karate or she'd been trained on this since you know since she was a child or however old she was when her father was was teaching her this. I think what was cool about this and I think the thing that really stood out to me was instead of maybe some of these weird, I'm going to teach you karate without teaching you karate sort of situation... They split it into the mental aspect of it because she was obviously dealing with anger. And I think that was one of her biggest 
flaws or maybe hurdles to get over as as a a youth. And then they did the physical stuff. So he took her to that Buddhist monastery, which I thought was pretty awesome. But Barry, let's start with you. What did you think of the training overall? And was there anything that stood out to you that that you you liked or you thought was kind of silly? Or wh- what were your thoughts on the way he he went about this? Because it was a two week break from school, I believe. Uh, you call it a break. I call it a suspension, borderline expulsion. <laughs> so for breaking into the school because she wanted to feed her hawk, but we'll get into that. We'll get to that. We'll get to that later. But uh, no, yeah, I mean, I like it because Miyagi knew like he didn't have to do much with the physical. It was because she was because she already knew from her from her father, right? It was already ingrained in her. He just had to kind of unlock it and also harness the rage. And it was all it was all about harnessing the rage, right? And I feel even though I haven't I hadn't seen this movie as as a youth. Um, the scene of jumping from rock to rock is definitely iconic. And I've, I've recalled that from, you know, the trigger to memory for me from way back when it's like, I've never seen this movie, but I definitely remember that rock scene. Um, <laughs> don't know, don't know how I feel about her dancing all over the Zen, the, the Zen garden, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I like that he, he harnessed the emotional rather than teaching the physical. That, that was going to be my question to you, Ken. Is it, did it make you cringe when she walked on that perfectly manicured sand? Because it did for me. Yeah, it totally did. I mean, you can see that they put so much effort into making it perfect. And then he's like, go go get on that rock. And instead of like going around, you know, because you can see on the back that she could get on the rock without messing up yes. the sand at all. She just runs right through the sand. And I don't know. I was like, oh, oh, you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I thought that was a lesson. Get on the rock without touching the sand. That's what yeah. I thought. Yes. <laughs> yes. What do you think, Dad? Oh, go ahead again. I was just going to say she keeps doing it. Yeah. And she didn't even like think about it. She's like plow, you know, and you know how little kids like they don't like take real steps. They kind of like shuffle their feet. Yeah. Like she like seemed to shuffle her feet extra to kick up the most dirt possible (laughs) to really mess up whatever someone's spent a lot of time working on. It's like when you, you know what happens when you walk into like a a store or something and and the worker or the person that owns the store just perfectly mopped the floor and you feel bad walking on the wet floor. They got the Mm -hmm. sign out. It's like, should I come back later? You don't want to walk on the floor. She didn't, she just walked into the store without even like asking or feeling bad at all. <laughs> like, I know you just mopped this, but, <laughs> uh, you know, she, she had some other challenges during this, this experience at this monastery. She almost killed a cockroach, which really offended people. Would you, would you do that, Ken? What would you kill the cockroach on, on your dinner table if you saw one? Yeah, I would at least flick that thing across the room. You got it. At least. At you got it. Oh yeah. I don't think anyone would would want a cockroach near their food. So I, I totally, I'm behind her hundred percent on that. And, uh, I think she made a good faith move to keep her eating area clean. And I thought it was kind of a diss when, when they all just got up and gave her the silent treatment. I, yeah. I, I don't know. That wasn't kind of, even Mr. Miyagi gives her the silent treatment over that. It's like, she was oh. looking for guidance and nobody told her why it was wrong. Cause she so know. much later, Miyagi told her. They wanted the shame bell out. They wanted to shame her. You know, I thought, you know, to be honest, not knowing the the balance between comedy and drama in this movie, I thought someone was going to eat that thing as like it was protein. Like, oh, you tried to kill it. Like that was food for us because we didn't have much. Like I thought that that was a situation where they were going to eat it and not like respect it as a as a being. Which you read shame on me. Right? You read the room way wrong. Shame on me here because <laughs> I haven't been to a Buddhist monastery, but I, I now I know, so I won't flick a cockroach or, or smash it with a shoe. And then the shoe on the table or whatever it was too, right? Like that's that's also a violation. You can't be doing double, that. Double double violation, yeah. But it's cool because she found a praying mantis in a field and gave it to a guy. So they're good now, right? I mean, is that is that enough to, to make up Steven, this? 
even Steven. <laughs> is that enough? Uh, I mean, what did you ha- did you guys have any just thoughts on the training itself? And, and maybe Ken, what do you think about the way that this went down versus some of the other training in the other movies? Like, how how would you compare it? I thought it was interesting because she's at a point where she was way more advanced than Daniel was when he f- was first training, and he was like they were throwing sandbags at her. They were they were covering her eyes. Um, and she had to like anticipate where things were coming from. I mean, that's way more advanced than Daniel. So I thought that, I thought that was really interesting. It was the vibe of the movie is different, right? It takes place in Boston, which is not what we're used to. And then the training takes place in this kind of monastery area, which is totally outside the real world. So given that it's so different from the other Karate Kid movies, I thought they pulled it off pretty well. I thought it was interesting. Yeah. I mean, maybe the way, and, and I'm curious about your thoughts on this bad way. You mentioned it was a borderline expulsion, borderline expe- suspension from school for, for feeding a hawk, which again, we'll get to that in a second. Do you think it was accurate that after two weeks, she would be this Zen Buddhist, basically, that, that's walking away with this new feel and, and now she's she's got a new lease on life here? Do you think that was accurate or was that more like in a, it, it, like unbelievable compared to some It's hard to say. I wouldn't say it's impossible because- there's a chance that that good person was under there before the accident and she needed a place to put her rage. And uh, who knows, two weeks, spending two weeks at a, at, a, at a monk monastery might change a person, you know, or it might at least give, give better perspective to how, how I've been acting and, you know, respecting other people's feelings and philosophies and, and rules. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's reasonable and, and, and realistic. I mean, again, more, you know, if we had more data to how she acted pre-accident, I mean, we'd have a much better idea, but yeah, I'll go with it. I'll allow it. Yeah. I, I, I'll i be honest, like my favorite thing of this whole scene was Miyagi catching the arrow, which I thought was, I thought they were going to play William Tell or something, not shoot it at his chest. Like I thought they were going for behind his head or something, but they, no, they shot it right at him. And uh, I guess he had a lot of practice with the Nerf guns that, that we talked about before. So, <laughs> uh, so look, we, we talked about this relationship. We talked a lot about this. I want to talk about Eric and the Eric Julie love story in a second, but let's take a comment break here. Yeah. Thank you guys for your amazing comments. Kate Maloney says, I can't believe that Julie's grandmother was of the World War II generation that allowed Julie to act that way. So <laughs> angry. Uh, my grandparents would have curb stomped me twice. Can I say I, something about that? You know, yeah. Yes. And she's, she's right. But, you know, if Julie was so belligerent that, yeah. uh, you know, I'm sure I'm sure the grandmother was at her wits end with what she could try. I bet she she tried the overly over the top helicopter parents type thing. She tried the she tried the layback thing. She probably tried it all for sure. Violence could have been an issue, but again, Julie knows karate, so a little defense there as well, you know. Yeah, I think that's a really good comment because I, I agree. Like I would not disrespect my grandparents that way, let me tell you that. I don't care who died. And you don't do that to your grandparents. Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm I sorry. just wanted to piggyback because one thing we didn't note it we didn't mention earlier about Julie and her her um her anger. I mean, not only was she going through the parents' breakup, she was going through constantly getting bullied at school and harassed, and and uh, let's be honest, kind of like sexually harassed by the by the head alpha elite guy. So she had all this going on, and no one was really helping her. Fair enough. Uh, the authorities at the school are in on it, like in on like the entire alpha elite thing. So she had nowhere to turn. No one, you know, until she met Miyagi, she had no one to really help her with this problem. So it's just everyone's attacking her from all angles. Um totally justified the way the way the way her character is actually that's that's fair that's a fair statement for sure and one more comment from rodney says kind of hypocritical on miyagi's side for shaming julie's fear against the cockroach since he was catching flies with chopsticks dude yes 
Thank you, Rodney, because I oh. thought about that too. It's all about respecting the home you're in, though. You can catch <laughs> flies at, in Miyagi's house. That's a rule. That's a Miyagi rule. House rules. But when you're in the monk's house, you follow the monk's rules. <laughs> not catching flies at the monk's house. That's pretty good. Oh, my God. Right. So we got to talk about Eric. And you guys mentioned this guy looks like he's, you know, 35 years old, playing an 18-year-old in high school and all this stuff. But I'll also tell you, this guy, who this guy played in another movie will shock you if I put the clickbait headline out there. So if you guys have ever seen this amazing movie that's out there, he, he's he's uh, he's in it for all of like two seconds. It's Mortal Kombat Annihilation from, uh, what, 1997 or something? <laughs> so we've done this on our show. Go check it out. It's You want to hear Badway like struggling through trying to say something nice about a movie? Watch, listen to our episode on that. He played the replacement Johnny Cage because the other guy couldn't make it and they killed him off within like the first five seconds. Spoiler alert. But he played a guy that looked like the other guy. Now, I think that he got the raw end in there because I actually like this guy in this movie. But we have to talk about Eric. Uh, I need to ask you, though, was he a secret alpha elite this whole time? Because it seemed like that to me. And and what was his deal? So start with you, Badway. What, what do you think about Eric? You think he has like an NWO shirt on underneath? Yes. Like he's, he's like, oh, surprise at the prom. <laughs> that would have been the ultimate, right? For him to like have Julia come along this whole way, befriend her, you know, spark a love interest, take her to prom, and then as soon as he gets her to prom, it's like a carry situation where it's like he rips his tux off and he's got the alpha elite suit on, and uh, and then they just continue to bully her, and then that's, that's when, and then there's prom brawl going on. Look, you talk about Terry Silver playing mind games. If you instantly want to give me Colonel Dugan like as one of the greatest villains of all time, it's if he pulled that off because. Plan introduce this guy make her fall in love really play some psychological mind games i mean this would be like an all-time villain plan if he were to actually successfully execute that i mean he wanted the recommendation for the air force right ken like what was his background what did he want what was his motivation well we know since uh, you know he was working as a train yard security officer even as a high school student and uh, <laughs> on, on top of a train he confessed to julie that uh he his dad walked out on the family and so they were having trouble making money so he had to work this job to make money for the family and then that's what he was looking forward to doing is going into the air force so that was his goal um and he was hoping for colonel dugan's recommendation to get that instant entry into the air force academy so that's what we know about eric it's for the devil i uh, and the, the, the quotes <laughs> in this movie are endless but um i love when he tried to pull her up to the train and he goes here, I'm going to show you this the sights you've never seen before. A whole different world to, from a view up here. And it's like a, it's like a 5-foot train. <laughs> the train is she regularly climbs to the top of the school to feed the to feed the hawk. <laughs> but hey, third have seen this, you know, freaking 50 feet, 100 feet in the air. But I'll show you I'll show you sights you've never seen, freaking 8-foot train. They were going up through what was Aladdin 1992. This was yeah. their Aladdin moment, the yeah. magic carpet ride standing on on a train in a train yard and that, that's yeah. what they were going for. But you mentioned something now and I want to touch on this. Cuz I need to ask you about his job. Like was this a situation where he was trying to impress her and he found that security guard shirt like somewhere cuz he loosely put it on, yeah. he had a hat, he looked like he picked it up at like Goodwill or something, like security, yeah. FBI. He has no supervision. He's just all he does is stand like what basically looks like a junkyard or, or <laughs> some kind of some kind of city dump, 
and just make sure no one spray paints the train. Is that the, is that the goal? Is this an office space situation where he thinks he's getting paid, but they're actually not paying him? Like they gave him this shirt, just said, "Here, walk around." Pay. They told him it was an internship. I bet. So there is no pay. It's for credits for college, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, and Ken, doesn't crime typically happen at night? Who's breaking into these trains during the day? He's walking around during the day. What? What? Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll be honest with you guys. I grew up around Boston, and uh, this is a very famous. This is the. Uh, I guess you could call it the metro system is the T. The T, right? The T on all of them. So it, it brought up those uh, hometown pangs, you know, the heartstrings for me. Uh, but, you know, some of the T lines are kind of rough. You, you never know. Uh, maybe he was there to ward off uh, criminals. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it is a little suspect, isn't it? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm of the mentality, this is not a real job. He's faking it. He's trying to impress her. They're not paying him. And he's out there, you know, that's, that's what I think. He's roaming the trains. No, but <laughs> I, uh, I reject your alpha elite angle with him because I, I like Eric. He seems like a great I like guy. him he's, too. He's a GG. All right. We can't, we can't be sullying Eric's name. I, I, he's one of my favorite characters in the Chronicle series. Such oh. a nice guy. Loves his car. You know, wants a girlfriend, you know, seems like a very, uh, studious and, uh, respectful boy, you know. The type that you you'd want your daughter to date. He, he he is a good guy, and I like him. But I still believe that somewhere there's some cut of this movie. I don't know. It's 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 the Christopher Kane cut somewhere yeah. where mm -hmm. this thing is is he pulls the shirt off yeah. at the end yeah. and and he's it's, actually a secret awfully. I'm never gonna let that go. Yeah. The crease jumping out of the crease cardboard cutout. That's out what I'm scene. saying. That's that's it. He was waiting for that moment. They needed the crease yeah. behind the cardboard cutout scene, yeah. and that's that. But let's let's talk about Eric and Julie and a love story and sort of their relationship. And in, in, to introduce that, I wanna I wanna play a clip of maybe one of their first interactions here. So we talk about the writing of this movie. We talk about some of the things that they they talk about. Just let's take a listen to this and see what you all think about how they interact in one of the first scenes here. Let me play this. I'll call Domino's Pizzas. Yeah. And have them deliver forty eight pizzas in the middle of the night. That's great. I love pizza. <laughs> I'll tell everyone you have some weird social disease. I guess I'm going to be pretty popular then, huh? You have a car? Oh, yeah. How would you like a pound of sugar poured down the gas tank? You're kind of angry, aren't you? Yes. <laughs> like, completely unfazed <laughs> until you Whoa. mentioned the car. Like, Whoa. oh, I love Don't touch my car. Don't touch my car, he said. <laughs> Got serious. Got real serious. Uh, uh, you mentioned that you, he's the nicest guy, so let's start with you, Badway. Is this love story necessary? You talk about trimming 15 minutes off the yeah. movie. Is it necessary? I think she needed a peer to relate to in the movie. It couldn't just be Miyagi because it was her against the world at school, right? Because, you know, Alpha Lead is the world. She seemed to not have any girlfriends. Like, she did, she seemed to be alone. Maybe she was pushing everybody away. New school for her. We don't know how long she's been there. Could have been six months. Could have been one month. We don't know. But she needed somebody. She needed an ally at that school. And, you know, I think it's okay to roll the ally into also a love story slash relationship. Yeah. Uh, what do you think? And do you think that the, that the love part was necessary or unnecessary? Okay. Here's the problem. Okay. Is that they were making a karate kid movie with a female character as the lead, right? Which I think maybe was kind of risky. So I think what they were doing is they were hedging their bets and featuring the lead as Julie Pierce, but all the other characters are guys, all of them. And I'm wondering if they were thinking, well, maybe if we put a lot of guys in here, that boys will still like it and want to see it. But I think this is the problem is that Eric is kind of in a way 
threatening to be the main character in the movie. He is personally tied in with all the villains. He's going through like all these problems with Dugan and Julie's kind of on the side. She just kind of gets uh, kind of targeted sort of. But uh, I think that's the only way to get these two together is they had to like put them in love. And that's the only way to, to get Julie tied into this problem story with the alpha elites and Colonel Dugan, really. So I, I think that's just a script issue. It's a really good point because you're right. Like you run the risk of maybe overshadowing the character of Julie if you do too much with him and, and he sort of becomes the side character. And for the record, I loved Eric. I thought he was awesome. Yeah, like, I, I would like to see more of him and their relationship. But I think, you know, when you run the risk of this movie being too long or it's sort of dragging, there's some of these scenes where they just seem a little, I don't want to say unnecessary because it's character development, but it, it it's just a little weird. That's all. Um, yeah. Go ahead. I, I don't think that's where you cut. I mean, we can cut the monks coming to Boston. First of all, pretty rude of Julian for her wish to be for the monks to leave their monastery when they say they hadn't left in so many years. It's like, what are you going to, you going to come by and visit for a couple hours? You're going to break your tradition just to come visit me. And then they're going bowling. It's like that. We didn't need all that. Like that's 10 minutes right there. But uh, yeah, that's yeah. the comedy for it. Well, we can't, well, we, you know, the relationship, it seems like, I don't know. Do you think it was realistic? Like in the time frame that they met each other, because there was a point where he was on the, on the phone. He thought it was his mom. And then we'll talk about the alpha elite in a second, but, oh, I'll miss you. Where are you at? It's been what a week and a half. If that, like, I know he's looking for love. He's a he's nice trying. guy. He's trying. He's trying. But would she fall for him? Maybe it's because she didn't have any anybody that was a friend. It's because he's genuinely seemingly friendly and he's taking care of the bird. He promised not to 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 narc on, on her being being the, the bird healer on top of the school. Yeah. So she trusts him because he's keeping his promise about not telling anyone about the bird and also feeding the bird while she's gone. So the bird is a very integral part to this story. Tell tell us more about this bird, by the way, because this is a, a really important thing. A majestic bird. What a bird! What a bird this is! Bird of all birds. Is it a falcon or is it a hawk? I don't know. I, I thought it was a falcon, but I, I don't know my wrong. Can I be it's honest? A I'm hawk. a little, a little freaked out by birds. To be honest with you, <laughs> how, 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 like, I don't like them flying all over the place. We learn new things every time. Dabby would not be taking this thing in the car with us. Yeah, then I think. Yeah, no, we're not bringing the bird in the car. That's that's not happening. But so uh, the bird has a broken wing, and she decided to keep it in this pigeon coop that a janitor had on top of the school. And it's dangerous because if they found the bird, they would like get rid of it. But she decides to keep it in like the most public place of all time, um, and kind of nurse it back to health. And it's kind of like her sanctuary. It's her. It's her safe space. She goes there at night. She defies the rules. She breaks into the school to get in, get to that bird cage, and uh, that's kind of like her love. It's kind of her safe place, and maybe her her place to, you know, maybe think about her parents. Yeah, I thought it was interesting though. Did it need to be at that school? Did she need that thing wasn't flying around? Like, what do you think, Ken? Was it unnecessary or was that just a plot device to get her to break into the school? Totally unnecessary. And I will say it's taken a few times watching this movie over decades to like pick up on this. But that bird did not need to be at the school at all. It makes no sense. She's been chased by cops multiple times yeah. for breaking into the school. She could have easily taken the hawk home or someplace else. And taking care of it, but she's putting herself in danger every night when she goes to feed this thing. I yeah, I don't get it. Well, hold on there, Ken. Maybe she did take it home first, and then the grandma said, "Get that rabies-infested gar garbage bird out of here." She was so mad yes. about it, and then so it's like she had to. That's like, where she had to dig it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, secondly, 
I love that her uh, her defense mechanism for being chased by people at the school is to throw her light away. To throw a flashlight. <laughs> she did it twice. It's like, hold on to that thing, maybe. Maybe throw something else. I don't know. I, I thought the other thing that was interesting about the bird was how Mr. Miyagi healed the wing with the the rubbing thing. But he did it so gently that I thought, like, did that even work? Because he kind of did this and then touched it. It wasn't very much. Like, he didn't wind up enough. I don't think he had much heat, but you can't burn that bird's wing with all that powerful energy. Yeah, it's so powerful. You don't even need to touch it, really. You just kind of have to <laughs> get it. Is it like Miyagi, the older Miyagi gets, the more powerful his hands become like with that? So like he's older, significantly older yeah. than Karate Kid 1. So. He's done this multiple times and he's gone too far sometimes. So he's like, he's learned his own strength over the years to kind of like, all right, I can't, this bird is too small for my power. I might, yeah. I might injure it further if I don't, you know, I got to back off a little bit. He doesn't want to uh, give it like third degree or, or was it first yeah. or third degree, which I don't know which one's worse, but third is worse. Yeah. It's yeah. like manslaughter versus yeah. whatever, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, also, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna point out the second time where I shed a tear in this movie. Did you guys get emotional when the bird flew? Or yes, I kind of did. I, I thought did. I was like, oh, uh, it was very nice. It was beautiful. It's kind of like letting go of her grief. It was like, it was beautiful. And I loved like you mentioned this Ken earlier about Miyagi tailoring his style. There was a lot of quotes throughout this movie of him sort of leading into you treat the person like when they're ready kind of thing. And the whole bird was an allegory of the bird will fly when it's ready. Oh, how do you know? You need to look, put the bird out there and, and let the bird try. So I love the the dynamic between Miyagi, the bird and Julie. What did you think about that? Yeah, I, I loved that uh, moment. And I want to say something. I want to give a special shout out to the fact that they actually got Bill Conti yeah. to come back and score this movie because I think these moments are heightened by the fact that they're new versions of the Karate Kid themes. And so I think that really grounds the movie. I think that helps the movie quite a bit. And in these key emotional scenes, you'll you'll realize that there are these uh, beautiful cues from the first three Karate Kid movies. So, um, so yes, that theme, those musical themes, I think represent Miyagi yeah. and our attachment to him and make these scenes powerful. That's a, that's a really good call out. Um, the other thing that we need to talk about with Eric and, and Julie in the love story, so she tre she trusted him to take care of the Falcon, and that was a whole thing. And then again, not to pull the secret Alpha Elite thing here, but hey, I'll take care of your Falcon. Oops, I gave it to Ned. Oops. You know, he didn't say that. But but anyway, the other thing is, you mentioned this earlier. We talked about the Oldsmobile. That way, do you think that Julie liked his car? I don't, th I don't think she liked his car. I She's like to pour sugar down the gas tank. Uh, if, if you guys would indulge me, you know, since we can't play the clip of my favorite part of the movie because there's copyrighted music involved and it'll do it'll, the whole kind of YouTube video get flagged. I was wondering if one of you would join me in reenacting my favorite scene, which is Julie getting in the car and being asked, do you like my car? So who wants oh, to play oh, Julie? I'm going to play Aaron. I, I'll do it. I'll do it. Please. All right. Please. Yes. I need to hear this. So I have, I have the script laid out. You guys see it, right? Okay. Yeah. So yeah. I'll start. I, I'm Eric. You know, do you like my car? It's an Oldsmobile 442. I saved it from a junkyard. It's just a car. <laughs> it's just a car? Does Michael Jordan just play basketball? Is Wayne Gretzky just a hockey player? I don't know. Is he? No, he's not. He's great. Like this car. <laughs> Where are you going? Work. You're a train driver? <laughs> and scene. Thank you. My favorite minute of the movie right there, ending with train driver. Does she not know the word conductor? Do the, do the writers of the movie not know the word conductor? 
I'll tell you what. Yeah. You guys acted that better than the movie, and I've got to tell you, like, that's iconic. You could just cut that scene and put it into the movie, and you wouldn't even miss a beat. Well, they took one take. He took one take, so, you know, it's pretty important. So. <laughs> what did it say? Uh, one, what did you used to call him? You call the other one take Kane? One take Christopher Kane? One take Kane. That's right. <laughs> they, didn't have enough, they didn't have enough money to do this. They're like, we're good. We're God. We got it. <laughs> oh, my God. You guys are the best. You guys are the Thank best. You. Thank you for indulging me, kid. <laughs> oh, my pleasure. I've never thought in my life I'd get to play Julie Pierce. It's it's a, an unknown dream come true. <laughs> We're going to talk about the Alpha Elite in a second, but maybe it's a good time for another quick comment break in. I don't know what you think. Absolutely. We, we've got some great comments, guys. Proud Heretic says, I have no idea why Eric kept getting ganged up on. I thought Eric was awesome to Julie. And that's another problem, isn't it? Like, yeah. I felt watching this. Are the Alpha Elite and Colonel Dugan really that motivated? We'll, we'll get into what happens to Eric's wonderful car in a little bit. Uh, Jay Wiggins says, Ken, you're from the Boston area. There's no scenic view anywhere on the red line. <laughs> a little, little bit of movie magic, right? Proud Heretic says, Eric is a good break from seeing her get bullied constantly by villains. Otherwise, there's not a lot of other people who are good besides the monks and Miyagi. Interesting. Yes. Thank you. Fred, absolutely agree. And Matt Moore adds, the hawk in the next Karate Kid foreshadowed the rise of the like hawk that. in Cobra Kai. I like that. Yeah. That's yes. a good look. I like it. I like it. Wouldn't it be awesome if that hawk had a little mohawk too? It would be pretty awesome. Ooh. Like, put a little can mohawk we, on the hawk. Can we do some uh, John Lucas, like, you know, after the fact, you know, editing yeah. like he does with the Star Wars movies? <laughs> kind of like CGI yeah. a little, a little mohawk Lucas. in there for him? Yeah, the the, uh, the yeah. special edition. Or yeah. The 30-year the anniversary edition of Next Karate Kid. Put, We're going to re-release Put a CGI mohawk on there. <laughs> for that great. specifically. <laughs> well, well, hey, guys, I thought we did such a great job reenacting that scene. I think we can go ahead and create our own special edition of the Next Karate Kid, right? Yep, well, they don't have one, yeah, so we, we can do it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, thank you, you guys for your comments. Yeah, thank you for the comments. They're great. Let's talk about the Alpha Elite. I mean, I don't know. We were already at out. We're five, what, five hours in. We got to talk about the Alpha Elite here. We got to talk about these guys. But before I jump into this, let's play another clip here. Because if you haven't seen this movie, you might be wondering who are the Alpha Elite? What are these guys? Like, what are you talking about? Listen to Eric. He kind of describes it for us. Let's, let's, let, him, let's let him take it away. The Alpha Elite, it's like a championship football team. That's what this school is known for. So championship football team, this school is known for this. So in Texas, they have football. Uh, in the Northeast, they have hockey. And in the Midwest, hockey and all this other stuff. In Boston, Ken, I guess they have the Alpha Elite. Uh, you, you're from what area? Is that what, what they got? It, it, it's it's kind of odd. Well, while football is popular, uh, it wasn't as popular in 1994 because it was the Patriots in 1994. Yep. Uh, Boston's really a baseball town. Yeah. You know, um, there are lots of great sports, but it's kind of interesting that uh, he'd be saying it's like a championship football team. I don't know. <laughs> so you've I'm got not where their movie is. Yep. So you've yeah. got people from all over the place joining this school just to join the Alpha Elite, which for all intents and purposes, I mean, I've been, you, you've been to college, they have ROTC, there's that type of program that gets you into officer training and officer school, and I get that. But like this seemed more to me like militarized hall monitors. And typically when you're thinking about authority figures and being cool in high school, usually you're kind of anti-authority in high school. Are these guys actually students or are they, I mean, they look like they're 45 years old. So bad way, like how would you describe this group to yeah. people? Yeah. And we can't play the whole thing. Oh, well, Eric looks young and he's, he's in the alpha. Like, no, yeah, they're all, they all look like they're 37 years old. Absolutely. Um, 
I don't know. There's a lot of different ways we can go about this because they could be using Dugan to uh, satisfy their need for power, and maybe he like buys beer for them and lets him lets them throw parties at his house. And then in his way, he like is reliving glory days. There's that aspect to it. Typically, like I would think a teenager would be like anti-cop, anti-police. You know, you don't want to rat on your friends. So, like, being a hall monitor certainly doesn't seem like a quote-unquote cool thing to do, but I guess if you take over the whole damn school, you can do what you want. <laughs> maybe, there's, maybe there's an alert of that. I don't know. We'll talk about, about Dugan's motivations in a second, but Ken, like, what is your take on this Alpha Elite? Did they have anything like this where, when you were in school up there? Absolutely not. And I'm, I'm fully con- convinced this does not exist in the real world. It can't. Like, there's too much opportunity for student corruption. I mean, look at this. This is empowering students over other students to a level that I just don't think can exist in a real school. I think it's kind of a fantasy. I, I could be wrong. I agree. Let us know in the comments if you had an alpha lead at your school. <laughs> but what do you think that way? Why would they allow like a militarization of, yeah, of the school? And to the point where like Julie gets busted for smoking cigarettes when she was clearly not smoking cigarettes, but because this kid said so, like it's, it's you know, open and shut case. It's, it's guilty. It's guilty yeah. and guilty until proven innocent. Because if you're if you're alpha elite, your word is your word is law. So but I mean, typically you you've got what like in college you've got the ROTC, but you also have if you're living in a dorm, we have the RA. I mean, these guys are like RAs with military like tendencies or something, right? They wanna they wanna have law and order and control people. You know, we talked about hall monitors and and this just souped up hall monitor. They've got uniforms. I mean, that way describe what these guys look like. So they're all wearing like tight medium black t-shirts and jeans <laughs> and i swear i'm not i'm not looking there but you just can't help but look they're all wearing cod pieces i swear to god <laughs> underneath those jeans. the bulges are out i swear and i'm not like trying to look there it just happened like it's the it's there to see i hate to call it out but i'm calling it out enough of the cod pieces guys we get it you're, you're big man on campus we get yeah. it yeah well, you know, they say that the toughest people sometimes compensate. So the, yeah, these guys are maybe potentially sure. compensating. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's too much. Yeah. Didn't they look sort of like a 90s boy band to you, but like a bad evil boy band? It's like if you took, you know, Bill and Ted, when they make the evil robot versions of them. And it's like, this is like the evil Backstreet Boys, in my opinion, yeah. is what they look like. Especially when you think about Ned. Like Ned is is the main the leader and all this stuff. He's he, you could call him a henchman of Dugan's. You could call him maybe the potentially the leader of the Alpha Elite. But if you notice, all the people that were bought in wore the uniform. But when Eric was in this group, he wore his regular clothes. And obviously, it's mm-hmm. the okay the lighter colors versus evil versus good. But what did you think of that? Is he a trainee? I, I feel like you're not Alpha Elite until in. you have the black shirt and the and and the codpiece jeans. <laughs> If you if you're not wearing that, but you're like in formation, like that we saw outside of school, I feel like he's a trainee. He's like he's he hasn't officially been knighted, so to speak. I I, I agree with you, and and I guess I just also wonder what are these guys doing? Like you, you're a hall monitor, you still have to go to class. Like these guys aren't in class; they're just walking around policing people. Like, they're above that. They're above that at this point. What do they do outside of work? Like they're hanging out at the school on property in case somebody breaks in. Do they sleep? Do they live in the school? Like what is their? They have a headquarters. Do we need to give Duke a headquarters? Like what is that? What do you think, Ken? Well, it's weird, and I don't know if we want to save this for Dugan, but like it's kind of pathetic for Dugan too, because it's like he only lives there. He only yeah. stays there. He eats at the cafeteria. Um, yeah, it's really weird. It's really weird. They're students, like they're definitely students, but uh, it doesn't make any sense. They have no life. They're not studying nothing. 
Dugan's well, like definitely going to lose points in the villain skill. Yeah. Oh, we, <laughs> we'll talk about him in a second. Let, let, let's do that. But I, maybe we would be, I think we'd be remiss if we don't at least talk about the other movies for a second. So just touch on this, right? So you have Ned, who is the henchman, the lead henchman, the main leader of this alpha leader, self-appointed leader. Uh, you know, this guy just thinks he's the toughest dude on the block. He wants Julie Pierce for whatever reason. I, I don't even understand that whole motivation there. He he wants her like a possession. Girl, what boy? Yes, he's a caveman. I mean, boy, for lack of, for lack of better way to describe it, he's a caveman. So how do you think he compares to... We could look at maybe like the lead henchman if you think about Kreese, if you think about maybe Sato, if you think about, I don't know, even Terry Silver to a degree. Talk about... And maybe I'll start with you, Ken. Like Johnny Lawrence, Chosen, Mike Barnes. Like where does Ned... Does he get enough in this movie to show us what he what he's got? You mentioned he maybe he got he got snubbed. Yeah, I th- I think he's not given a lot to work with uh, in the script. I will say the one difference with Ned here is he's kind of abusing the authority that Colonel Dugan gave him. It's like he's on a power trip to get things for himself. Yeah, um, in a way that I think the other people aren't. Like Johnny Chosen, Mike Barnes. They're kind of either working for the guy or they want to impress the main villain. But here, it's like Ned is kind of off on his own and he's running amok um, with his own evil desires. It's not like he was taught to be evil. It's like he is sort of evil. So that's a little different. But yeah, the character's pretty thin. Yeah, I agree. What do you think, Badway? And and to, to piggyback on that, I feel like Dugan condones whatever behaviors Ned acts out. So it's mm-hmm. not Dugan's idea to punish Julie at any chance that, that they get. But if Ned comes to Dugan and says, hey, this girl Julie, you know, want to take her out on a date and she's just not listening to me. Dugan's like, hey, buddy, go on. You have full reign. Do what you got to do, buddy. You know, I support you 100%. You know, take her to the docks. I'll be there. We'll make it happen. <laughs> so, like yeah, Dugan isn't giving the orders, but, but Dugan certainly empowers Ned to to be his alpha self, to be alpha elite, right? Yeah, uh, you're right, and that's his motivation, I guess. It's, it's and Ned, Ned totally seems like the type of guy to like just like hawk Louis all over the place, right? Just do the yeah. really loud, like <laughs> spitting everywhere, doing snot rockets. I feel like he had the opportunity to be a really iconic bully, and uh, he has great facials. He doesn't have a lot of lines to work with as far as like being, you know, verbally uh, attacking, but. I feel like if you swapped this actor out with say a, with with say a Mike Barnes in three, like not that Bar- Barnes did a great job. I'm not dissing Barnes, but he could have. I feel like he could have easily slid into the Barnes character and done just as well because he has the look of a high school bully or you know a, a 19, 20 year old bully or whatever. Yeah. A 30, 37 year old bully. Or I, I, bully is. I think Kane, I think Sean is is a much better actor personally. Sure, I, but I sure. But yeah. I get what you're but saying. But I'm saying like say it didn't exist and this kid slid into that role. He could have yes. done an adequate job, is what I'm saying. Well, he he what moonlit on one episode of The Sopranos as uh, Feech La, La Mancha's yeah. uh, nephew or something. Sure. <laughs> like he's got prestige. He's got prestige. I mean, and look, I wish this this guy got more more spotlight. And I think there's what did you think of when he was rolling up in his jeep and, and the treatment of Eric's car here? Like, what did you think that way? Disrespectful. You don't you don't touch a man's car like that. Just, <laughs> you want to beat him up? You want to kill him? You want to put him away at the docks? You go ahead and do that. You don't blow his car up. You don't smash the windows. And what do you go ahead? A real missed opportunity to have a race too. Yeah. What do you think, Mm -hmm. Ken? Yeah. Like everything else in this movie, it's just dialed up to eleven. Like when it doesn't need to be, and I think that's when 
example, it's like, man, like, okay, that's like visually exciting, I guess, but it kind of doesn't make any sense. Which car would you guys rather have? Uh, you go first, Ken. Would you rather have the Oldsmobile or that that Jeep? That Jeep was very 90s, but it looked pretty sweet. It, yeah, it was, it was a pretty sweet Jeep, but you know, I, yeah, I'm with Eric. I think that Oldsmobile is just a great car. I was, I was kind of sad when it got uh, damaged by Ned. <laughs> what so, do you so think? You like, you like his car. You like his car. Yeah, yeah. You you tell oh, yeah. You should tell him that he'd be happy. He'd feel good. <laughs> it's the Wayne Gretzky of yeah. cars. Yeah. Michael Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, I yeah, I'll take the Oldsmobile, but that Jeep, man, the tires are so big. I feel like if he drove that off the docks, it would just, you'd be able to, like, it'd be a boat. It's a, it, it's turn, a, it would turn into vehicle. a boat. Yeah. I feel like it's it's a dual thread vehicle. So, <laughs> yeah. Speaking of the docks, uh, let, let's let's talk about this because, you know, you can't like we said at the beginning, you cannot have a murder at a prom. I mean, that just turns the the school into a crime scene. Yeah. A dock is ripe for for a crime scene here, but you can you can kill as many people as you want at a dock. It's it's legal. Yeah, it's, it's at the docks. That's where you're. It's preferred, right? That's what it's yeah. for. That's the you know they they do they do cargo and stuff, but also murders are happening yes. down there. But but the the prom. So before you get to the docks, we talk about the the, the love scene between um or the not the love scene, excuse the me, the love scene, Drew. <laughs> yeah, that's in the director's cut. What movie the, did you watch? The love romance with <laughs> we talk about the romance between Eric and and Hillary Swank's character. They they go to the prom, and I, we could talk all about the the dress and how they got there and all this stuff. But there's one thing that I just I think it's on everybody's mind here. And I'll just put this out there to you both. And uh, whoever feels like answering, you, you guys go. But what was up with the bungee jumping at the, at the prom? <laughs> what was that, Ken? Maybe you start. Makes no sense. I'm speechless, yeah, Ken. So if you would explain to me the bungee jumping, because I can't. Okay. Guys, if you haven't seen it before, all right. The bungee jumping scene at the prom is perhaps the most random thing to happen in a movie in the last 40 years. Like, it makes no sense. <laughs> In the middle of the prom, these alpha elites tie themselves to the ceiling with bungee cords and they just jump down into the prom. And then one of them like breaks his shoulder. Like it, it makes no sense. I mean, it makes them look horrible. And apparently Dugan okayed this because Dugan was there at the prom. Yeah. Like it is it was like, absolutely like because yeah, Eric was furious about it and, and Ned was like Dugan Dugan said it was okay and it's like yeah because Dugan's empowering to make his own choices but like what choice is this like, what what do you what is what kind of flex is this I, I swear man this is like an Ernie Hudson the substitute a scenario where Ernie Hudson's like running crack and stuff as the principal like Dugan is is the evil empire guy what else is going on in the school like, he, we think it's law and order but I, I would say this like and I said this to you guys when we were thinking about this show but like this to me is if like okay you're in a you're in a school prom some problems happen in the gym sometimes they happen off site in a school prom the basketball team just ran in and started shooting hoops and they said hey cool the coach said it's cool like I, I you know we're gonna go, we're yeah. gonna coach said it's cool coach right says. like or or you have like a hockey team start playing floor hockey in the middle of the prom like bungee jumping must be something that they do but I think as we said right it's like in the beginning of the Power Rangers movie when they just do sky surfing and you got the White Ranger just doing like sky surfing out of a plane it's the 90s i guess what else are you gonna do bungee jump right it's cool yep. it's not? cool right. why not <laughs> like and, and did this scene so the other question i have for you and, and you bad way did this end the prom or did it just cause people to maybe say i'm i'm done with this i was so confused because cut to next scene like we're all we're out of the prom we were in and out of the prom in under three minutes so i thought it ended the prom now i could be wrong maybe julie and eric just left and the prom continued but 
does a bungee is- incident end the prom? It's silly, but like you could still, you know, the kid's fine. Like he has an injury, but we cut him down and he he can leave. But <laughs> he's good. Did it end the prom? I don't know. And why didn't these guys go to the prom? I guess nobody wanted to date them. But you know, the cool kids are usually in the prom, right? What's that about? Sure. I don't. Well, they were there. They were there to uh, protect the prom. Right? That's true. To run security. They were the chaperones, of course. <laughs> I I don't know. I mean, I think we got to talk about the docs here too, and they wind up leaving and and they get into this fight or whatever happens. Is I might even my memory is fuzzy, but they challenge Eric to go to the to the docks, right? I mean, he's got to meet us at the docks. You're if you if you're man enough, if you're man enough, bad way, meet me at the docks. Like, what was the end game here? Because Dugan was motivating these guys, and we'll talk about his plan in a second. But what was what were they trying to do? Was it humiliation or murder? Both. You know, <laughs> maybe maybe first submission when that doesn't work, humiliation, and if that doesn't work, murder. Sure. Uh, what do you think? Pre-step, pre-step plan. Um, honestly, yeah, I think it was a very confused plan. I think that the alphas had no. I don't think initially they knew about the murder part because they all look really surprised when Dugan's like, "Finish him off." And they're like, what, what, wait, what? <laughs> and, you know, I, and I think that surprised the audience too. But I was before that, like the whole plan of hauling the gasoline down. Yeah. There, I mean, they did this very quickly because this happened like right after the prom. They got the gasoline down there so that when Eric showed up in his car, they started pouring gasoline all over the car to torch it, to blow it up. <laughs> it was just extreme. Right. I mean, and, Yeah. And, and and what and I'm trying to like you guys are going to have to help me out. What motivated that coming from the prom? And then Ned said something about like <laughs> he just challenged me or something like that. I'm going to have to answer it. And then Dugan says, "Absolutely." If and if, I'm trying to figure out what what's the connection with blowing up the car? It's Dugan um, again empowering Ned, letting him make his own choices. But if you're going to do something, you're going all the way. You better not half-ass this thing. So if you think Eric disrespected you for quote unquote taking your girl, then you better teach him a lesson. And if he doesn't learn that lesson, put him away. Yeah. Put her away. Put end this thing, son. How many other cars have been blown up by the Alpha Elite at the docks? Because you're right. They had the gasoline ready and waiting to go. Maybe they just pulled from the the yeah. the, the canisters there. They already had them going. And they knew what they were doing. They bashed out the windows. I mean, they busted the windows up. I thought that was bad enough. And then, just for no reason, the car explodes. Like, why? <laughs> this was not their first dock torching, and it wouldn't have been their last had Miyagi not been there. Miyagi knew that, like, he didn't know, but he sensed it. He knew, like, yeah, we better fight these dicks because yeah, this is just going to happen again and again and again. Yeah. So, like, yeah, yeah, we're allowed to fight this time. You, you know, and, and, and we talk about the murder and, and the plan of murder. How many other dead bodies are at the bottom of this thing? Because and and how long has Dugan been doing this? Yeah, and maybe the maybe maybe this is a good way we can kind of segue into him. But man, like he was advocating for murder, and we talk about the stakes of the original trilogy. It's typically, I mean, I guess you could say Karate Kid Two. There was it was a fight to the death, so you could say it was sort of similar. But you had one, which was the All Valley Tournament. You had two, which was sort of a fight to the death, which was extreme. But then you had three, which was again a tournament. Now you're back to murdering, not in, you know, a village. This is in a criminal enterprise area at the docks. So Dugan, I mean, we need to talk about him and we'll put him through the villain scale here in a second, but let's talk about him to set it up a little bit. 
what do you think? And 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 Ken, we'll talk about Dugan on the villain scale in a second, but let, let's take a break for comments. Okay, guys, we've got some amazing comments. Uh, Kate asks, was there a Dugan increases platoon? And I know that's a whole other discussion, but you know, people have talked about like, maybe did they know each other? Dugan was in the army. I don't know. Do you guys have a quick response to that? I, I think that they were probably in there and I would like to see him show up. It would be pretty cool. <laughs> so especially after watching this. Now, Jay Wiggins says Dugan's expressions are so deranged. Looks like Nicholson in A Few Good Men. Good acting. Yes. And then uh, Matt Moore jumps in and says, alpha elites don't go to class. Class go to alpha elites. I like that. <laughs> well said. Guys, awesome. thank you so much. Thank you so much for your comments. And uh, yeah, let's get back to Dugan. Let's throw him through the the patented last row podcast villain scale, guys. So if you guys have not seen our show before, we have a, uh, a villain scale that we throw all the villains on the movies through. We've done Crease. We've done on the epic live streams. We've done Terry Silver. He almost had a perfect score. If you guys know that, that's where we get the trading card. Now it's time to touch on Michael Ironside, Colonel Dugan. We have four categories. There's his look or style, one to five, his hideout or his lair, his plan, and his henchman. And that'll give us a score out of 20. So let's see how he does. Let's start with his look or style. And this will be how we describe the character. So let's start with you, Badway. What do you think of his look or his style? What, what's, your, what's your proposed rating? I'm fine with him covering his bald head up with the hat. You know, the hat is very 90s. We'll start there. I like the hat. I like the whole outfit going on. But like, not sure about his portrayed fighting style in this movie. Like, do you feel that they could have made him more of a badass? That they seem to like really tone down his violence that yeah. that he could have shown. Right? He punched in slow motion. What do you think, Ken? I mean, I, he 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 did not show. And Michael Ironside is badass. Like, he's awesome. Right. Like, I don't think they showed it enough. Like, is that like us? And, and Ken, what do you think? Like, is that us thinking that he's a bad fighter or is it just a problem with the way they made the movie? Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think Bad Boy's right, too. It's like they didn't showcase him correctly. Like, he's sort of a brute fighter, maybe a military fighter, but they don't show him as having necessarily any special martial arts background. And um, they could have done that. Um, but yeah, I mean, the only demo we get is he's beating up high school kids. You know? <laughs> Which, <laughs> that's it. Of course, you don't want him to beat up Miyagi, and he can't. But right, right, yeah. With no, with no other like conflict to show him at physically imposing his will, other than beating up high school kids, then you know, it's hard to it's hard to respect him as as a fighter. You can respect him as an authority figure and a mastermind of this, you know, evil hull monitor, you know, crew that he's assembled, and who knows how long this has been running for. Like how many, like how many senior classes has this guy? Uh, presided over so yeah. i mean run amok in the town for a decade or plus who knows but i like the idea of him but i i don't like that they didn't you know i wasn't i wasn't afraid of him physically i feel like his fighting style immediately docks at least one point because he got his ass handed to him by by john or by uh mr miyagi which anyone would really right he got he got his butt kicked but he didn't really show much else. I mean, we just saw him in military, you know, clothes. It was not much there. Like he did look kind of intimidating though. So mm-hmm. I feel like maybe we, we could start at a three and maybe, maybe go with like a three. He looked pretty cool, but maybe you dock a point there. I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah. I mean, I was, I was about to say two, but I mean, I'll, I'll accept your three. If you guys want to go three, uh, I can't, you want to be I, a tiebreaker? I, I think since it's Michael Ironside, it's yeah. got to automatically be at least a three. Yeah. Respect him. We'll respect him. Yeah. Let, okay. Let's go with a three here because I think the fighting style can't, keeps him from going further i think 
And, uh, you know, we'll talk a little bit about what are, what are his digs, though. What's his hideout? Does he live in the school? School. Yeah, you, it's the school. Which, <laughs> the which is not very good, right? Yeah. Like, right. That's where he keeps his bungee jumping gear, I guess, in, in, the, in the athletic closet. I mean, this has got to be low, right? It's got to be a one. Like, yeah, right? I, I think we speculated in um, when we in the pre notes while we met that it's possible he lives with his mother still. It's possible, but no, she lives with him. He doesn't live with her. She lives with him. So, <laughs> I mean, he might be taking care of her, and maybe yeah. he's a nice person outside of this, and that's yeah. where the rage is coming from. And but that's where the parties go when when the when the alpha elite want to want to throw keggers. You know, he lets all because he, he wants the kids to think he's cool, so he buys them beer <laughs> and, and throws keggers at his parent at his at his parents' house at Kenya's house. Yeah. So right. is the know. school a good layer? Is that a, I like the school as a setting for some some bad stuff going down it, like slash travel than, than the substitute, right? Yeah, it's a great setting. Yeah, right? but um, I mean, like to what you guys are saying, what a missed opportunity for this movie because the Alpha Elite could have had their own building, their own like place, intimidating location, yeah. warehouse. Uh, yeah, get them a warehouse. Yeah, like a. A warehouse, right? Yeah. So the only the only place I see them really, aside from the cafeteria, is outside in the field. Well, so, you, I mean that's pretty weak. You mentioned too, and we we heard Eric say it, it's like the the football team. That's why they want to go there. They talk about you know athletic spending is out of out of control at some schools. They don't spend on the academics. These guys are overfunded. They should have had like a mecca temple or something that that was like their training headquarters yeah. and stuff. They really missed an opportunity there, and because of that, I feel like his layer is bad. But you got to give him credit for being on the base of operations. He doesn't have to travel anywhere. <laughs> well, think, uh, I mean, for for the mastermind of this, you know, military operation that doesn't really seem like to have any growth opportunity, uh, I'm I'm tempted to start at a one and can be talked into a two. Here's why it's got to be a two. He has the docs. They're his docs, and maybe it's a two because of that. Oh, or you're adding the docs could be part of his because it's part of the layer. I mean, that's he knows he knows people. you can murder there, get the torch cars, oh, and murder people. So it's kind of like it's part of his base. Of, it's not where his, it's not where his headquarters is, but it's a satellite location. He's got that place, and he has maybe the police on the payroll too. They don't go to the docks. He's got to go torch a car down there tonight. Stay away. Stay out of here. He's going to throw some bodies in the in, in sure. the uh, the river. They, so yeah, like maybe there's too. a code he says to like, so they know, all right, we're not going to ask any questions. <laughs> you're, you're, okay. the, you're the tiebreaker, Ken. What do you say? One or a two? Gosh. See, mm. I see the thing is, I, I like the docs idea. However, however, I think that's a Ned thing. Yeah, true. And, and like what Badway was talking about, like, you know, because uh, Ned wanted to meet Julie at the docks. It's like he, Ned's the one who keeps pushing the docks. Yeah. He wants, he, he thinks it's a romantic place or a place he can get away with stuff. And, uh, you know, I think Dugan is kind of, as Badway was saying, kind of weak. He take kind of takes his cues from Ned yeah. as far as like all this nefarious stuff. So I'm going to say the docks are more a Ned thing. Okay. And the school is more a Dugan thing. So I, I'm going to give him a one. Okay. Two, two things. Um, yeah. Ned, Ned reminds Dugan of himself. He's these, these reliving glory days. Yeah, that's what it is. So he's like, he's living vicariously through Ned, like, yeah, yeah, bring him to the docks. Yeah. And two, didn't earlier in the movie, Ned said something like, Julie, have you ever been to the docks? A girl like you, pretty girl yes. like you. Is the docks like make out, make out? A mountain? Is that, is that like what, is that what goes on there? Do teens go there to make out at the docks? Next to all the blown out cars and, and dead bodies. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the so the docks is just a just a 
the wild, wild west of sex and murder in the city. Super, super romantic. <laughs> to go to the docks. <laughs> I've been to Boston. I didn't live there, but I've been there. It didn't yeah. seem like it to me, but I, hey, who the heck knows? <laughs> yeah, I'm, no, in favor. I, I'm in favor with Ken's one. Yeah, I'm going, well, let's go one. Let, let's touch on the plan here and, and maybe let's start with you bad way, but like just describe this guy's plan. Whatever, what are his motivations? And we can do lead teenagers to make himself feel like a big man to relive the glory days. Is that the plan? I, I think so. What do you think, Ken? Right. And with with murder, he's teaching them murder. He's saying that he's training people to murder other students. Um yeah. I, I think that's a bad plan. Like, I don't see how he comes out of that unless what you guys are saying is right. And he's done this over the years and students have quietly disappeared at the docks or wherever. But like, yeah, it doesn't make sense. Like, yeah, the parents would come after him. I think it's a horrible plan to murder children. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, yeah, to us, sure, it's a bad plan but to, a, to a criminal mastermind. Like, it might be a great plan, but is, is, the, is the ultimate plan to like take over the city? Maybe, maybe. You know, the little, I don't know what town, like a, maybe they're out, outskirts of Boston. I don't know. I don't think they're in Boston proper. I feel like they're probably in a, in a neighboring city to where like, like, does he have the police on the payroll or is he part of the police or is he strictly working for the school and he's trying to become in, in, integrated with, with taking over law Dude. enforcement in the entire town? Uh, that might be the ultimate goal. I hate to what say it, but I think he's a bum, man. I don't think he's doing anything else. I think yeah. he's just hanging out with kids. What he's doing because yeah. it gives Ken, him a power trip. Ken said it earlier when he was eating in the cafeteria. That was pretty sad. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't That's seem like sad. the type of guy that has that has like a long goal, long time, long term goals. No, yeah. Ned is his best friend until until Ned goes off to military uh, to military <laughs> yeah, school. Whatever hit well, the next yeah. step is. What happens when Ned graduates? It's going to be a sad day. He's going to find a new Ned. I mean, that's why he wanted Eric. Yeah. <laughs> do Do you want to know something? I just thought of. Dugan is totally reactive. If you look at him, like even at the docks, remember when um, Dugan went after Eric and basically he said something to Eric. Maybe now you wish you'd paid more attention. And then Eric said, I got a piece of you, didn't I? Yes, you did. It's almost like he had to be reminded, right? Mm -hmm. And then when outside the prom, when Ned's like, I have to answer his challenge, Dugan says, Absolutely. It's almost like he's agreeing with someone else's idea. And then Miyagi said, come on, we finish. And he's like, absolutely. It's like he takes his ideas from everyone else. So I don't, I don't know if this guy has a plan. No, I don't think he does. And I think it's honestly, guys, I think this is like one of the weakest plans I've ever seen in my life. Like of all the villains that we have seen, I feel like it's gotta be a one. Like I cannot justify anything higher. I don't know if you agree. Yeah, you're right. I, I, sadly, sadly true. And so so then that brings us to like well the one thing we didn't mention and we'll just quickly say this but like all of the things that he did too because he had all kinds of crimes right like there was arson murder all these things we talk about the cars and stuff so that also makes it worse because he's putting himself out there to, to get caught so um let's talk about the henchman real quick so just last category here the alpha elite right that might be either great or bad because you have high school students for you like what do you think First of all, we're in dangerous territory, Drew, of having possibly the lowest score in villain, villain skill history. So we got it. I don't want that to sway your guys' opinion. If you want to bury this guy completely, we'll do it. Um, He's already at a five, though. So give him that. But I don't know. I don't know. Like, was, we're, we're in trouble here. But <laughs> luckily for him, he has an entire squad for henchmen. So he's getting more than a one as a baseline. All right. Fair enough. Just to me, did anyone else stand out to you besides Ned as an alpha elite, right? We want to talk about um, 
Walton Goggins. What's his name? Charlie. Charlie. What's his name? Walton Goggins. Yeah. That guy. He's a, that guy, and he's in, he's in a ton of movies. What is it? Justified. He was in the Glorious, not the Glorious Minister. Um, uh, the Hateful Eight. He was, Hateful he was Eight. great in the Hateful Eight. Um, did did anybody the maybe the bungee jumpers? Did anyone else stand out to you besides <laughs> Ned as being, uh, you know, a viable henchman? I mean, the guy broke his arm. Come on. <laughs> I to answer your question, by the way, I think their cod pieces st- stood out more. Than yeah, their- maybe. <laughs> possibly <laughs> <laughs> it's really true it really is true that that's yeah. the truth but these guys yeah. were they were ineffective bad way i mean ned he he got beat up in the end he did not win and these guys could not do anything and the fact is what about when one of these kids flips on dugan that's a liability in my opinion like his henchmen are a liability but i'll give him a two i guess if that's what you're if that's what you're thinking i don't know yeah i think i think that because ned was at the very least, a good high school bully that was taught by Dugan. We're going at least two because Ned was a viable henchman. At least, fair enough. I mean, he, look, he is on the low low spectrum here. Can you be the tiebreaker? What, what's your thought? Well, the thing is, within the school, within the world of the school, he has amazing henchmen that I think are more effective than he is. Fair enough. Like they they do a good job. They are elite. I, the thing is, like, what do they do aside from that? And does Dugan really control them, or do they control Dugan? No, I you know, I learned from him, and I feel like off off screen, you know, another, you know, when we're not when we're not watching, you know, they're they have that school probably on a very tight ship, and um, can't do that without. It can't just be Ned. I feel like the other henchmen. What we don't see, they're they're kind of bending the school to their will and mm-hmm. i feel like we've got to give some credit to that to jugan and and his teachings to his henchmen you, you know i think you're right bad way and i think that would earn him a three except i think we have a ned problem yeah because ned i would give maybe the henchmen a higher score if they were like more obedient and not undermining dugan but ned is like doing things on his own and manipulating dugan loose cannon and yeah, he's more of a loose cannon. So it's he, Dugan doesn't necessarily have the tight control over his henchmen yeah. that you would want out of a villain. Yep. Yeah, and I, but I think that might also be by design. I think Dugan is kind of of, of the thought of do what you want to do, but if you're going to do it, f and do it, and finish it, do it right, <laughs> go to the extreme, right? Yeah, but I'm totally I'm, fine with the two. I'm fine. Let's go to guys. Yeah, I, I feel like it has to be. So so if we recap for the audience here. That's a three for look and style, a one for his hideout and his lair, a one for his plan, and a two for his henchman, which puts him at a seven out of 20. And guys, I got the list of all of the other yeah, villains that we've done here. He is tied now with Ivan Ooze from the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, well, Chris Brander from Just Friends, yeah. Reinhardt Bragdon from Bushwhacked, Takahashi from Johnny Mnemonic right there under there. And the only two that are below him right now are Ranch Wilder, the announcer from Angels in the Outfield, and... and <laughs> Ben Willis, uh, the the hook hand guy from I Know What You Did Last Summer. Man, I mean, Ben, wow, stuff, yeah, he really did wow. get snubbed because his hideout was a boat and it wasn't very yeah. good. But yeah, I mean, this is Colonel Dugan, man. I mean, he's no Terry Silver. That's all I can say. I'll, I'll tell you what, though, Dugan leads that group of villains. I'll tell you that much. Like he deserves <laughs> to be on the top of all of those yeah. guys that you just mentioned. He is. He's better uh, yeah. than Ivan Ooze. I I know. Yeah, go ahead, Ken. Uh, I was just going to say potentially. Dugan could have been very easily better. I think if the movie and the script 
just did a few things to showcase like whatever Dugan's true talents are, I think he could have done better. This is where I think the movie lets the character down. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I agree with you. And and I think we didn't really talk about the final fight and all that stuff, but you know, typically when you listen to the show, we're not really doing a lot of plot stuff, but I thought the final fight was good. I liked that Julie beat him, but at the end of the day, it was cool how Miyagi let her have the fight versus doing something that was maybe, oh, you can't fight. Like, I like that he tailored his style. Yeah, and obviously Ironside is badass, and, you know, he could only do what he was given, so it's clearly not his fault. So we wish better for Ironside. Yeah, that way. I, I would agree with that. Well, let's talk, just wrap it up real quick. So I think we asked the question in the beginning, and let's start with you, Ken. Now that you've rewatched it again, I don't know how many times you've seen this, and now that we've had a pretty in-depth discussion, probably more in-depth than we should have, but hey, we get this movie deserves it. It hasn't gotten it in, in the 30 years it's been out. Is it really that bad, and what's the legacy of it to you? I think the idea of doing something like this was a good idea, but when you think of when you think of the other Karate Kid movies, if you think of all the ways they could have done this, I think it kind of is bad. Like I don't, th- I don't think you can kind of get away from it. It's it's something that where I liked parts of it, and um, I think it's just the way it was executed and the way they did it. Uh, they had some good actors, they had some good thoughts, but. I kind of, and I get it if people like it and stuff like that. And I kind of liked it, but yeah, I think as a movie, it, it kind of deserves its bad reputation. Yeah. What do you think, Badway? I'll put it this way, plain and simple. If I was flipping channels and I saw this on TNT or something, I might stop. Yeah. And I think that's better praise than I would have ever seen myself giving it before I watched it, right before I hit play to start watching it. There's enough good sprinkled throughout the movie to where wherever you are in the movie it's worth a to check in on and get a laugh out of whether it's you know the movie's terrible obviously the movie's objectively a bad movie but there's enough in there for you to you know spend 10 minutes with it and and enjoy something out of it and i think that's that's as high a praise as i think you you can get for a movie like this yeah i i would agree and and my final thoughts are that i never really saw this all the way through like i said in the beginning I never really had a motivation to watch it. And I had heard a lot of people talking about Julie Pierce as a character and, and Colonel Dugan. And I'd watched, you know, obviously watched your videos, Ken, and, and, and looked into some of this stuff, but I never saw it. But after watching it, I can say, I, what, what Badway said earlier, I didn't really love it in the beginning. Then I kind of liked it. Then I was like, okay, maybe this is going on too long. And then I love the ending. And I thought that that is a lot of praise for this movie that didn't have the best script. But I walked away, like you said, Badway, I think I'd leave it on if it was on, especially the end. I love the ending. I thought the prom scenes were ridiculous, and I just kind of liked it. I like the character of Eric, and I think it doesn't get enough, maybe, credit for what it does. It gets a lot of hate, but I'll be honest, I I think I would watch it again. Uh, I'm not rushing to do it, but I liked it. So that's my final thoughts on the movie. (laughs) I I, re- I really love your thoughts, Drew. And I will say, if you're a fan of the Karate Kid movies, I think every fan needs to see it. Like, I, I think they're with Mr. Miyagi, like as you guys were talking about, Pat Morita does such a great job. And Hilary Swank, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a good character. Um, I want to suggest this to you guys. I know it might be pointless to do like a woulda, shoulda, coulda, but do you wish that they had kind of set this movie in California, in the Valley, with a new character, but just where the story would have access maybe occasionally to the characters that we saw in the other Karate Kid movies, um, a cameo from Daniel, uh, a maybe bringing back Bobby 
or Johnny or something, someone uh, to have some kind of interaction with Julie? Do you think it was a bad idea to just move this all the way across the country? Uh, I, I think I know why they did it, but I would I would say that I think that it would have probably been better if they did do that, but they were probably afraid that they were going to, oh, it's not going to be its own thing. And maybe the other actors didn't want to sign on to it too. They're kind of done with it, especially after three. But it would have been interesting for sure. And I think it would have had a cool cool vibe. The whole East Coast versus West Coast thing definitely was was very different. I don't know if you disagree, Badoy. I mean, I don't necessarily disagree. I just, for, you know, doesn't sway me one way or the other. I feel like this movie was going to kind of bomb no matter what, as long as it wasn't advertised as being like a Miyagi Daniel, you know, uh, rehash, a new character, new setting. Five years later, too long, but also too short. I don't think anything would have saved it. Yeah, it would have been nice as Easter eggs, especially looking back on it now, and especially since the world of, of, of a Karate Kids has, has expanded so much with Cobra Kai in five seasons now, um, going on a sixth. I don't think it would have... It would have been cool, but in the long run, I don't think it would have helped it one way. and Anything extra. Yeah. And just another thing to tack on. Yeah. I, uh, I got to be honest, guys. I don't think there's ever been an analysis this deep on the next karate kid and i don't mean to toot our horns here but <laughs> i mean i think uh we probably said too much but yeah. you know too long right too too high but there, but i <laughs> congratulations or we need some help one or the other. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but i i just uh, the last thing i want to say is you know thank you ken for having us on here and allowing us to, to to talk to this awesome audience here thank you to everybody for the great comments if you guys are enjoying this and you like this type of show we want to do some of this on our our last row youtube channel check us out um if you're looking for our website like you mentioned you can check us out at the lastrowpodcast.com if you like what you heard and you want to send us an email it's the last row podcast at at gmail.com we have all the social handles twitter facebook instagram at the last row pod um we put out an episode every two weeks every other thursday or this past week we just um we just released an episode on the much maligned 1993 Super Mario Brothers movie in anticipation of the new one that's coming out. You'll have to check that out and you'll have to let us know what you think. Badway had a, an interesting time with that one. So you got to listen and hear how much he loved the movie. <laughs> so, <laughs> we'll also have a new episode coming to you on our, our, our channels and the airwaves on March 23rd on our, our socials and, and, and our podcast feed. But um, definitely if you guys enjoy this, leave comments on this. If you're watching on the replay, leave some comments on there. Tell us what you think. And uh, check us out on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and, and try to leave us a five-star review if you enjoy what you heard. So Ken, I'll turn it back to you to t take us home. Absolutely. And to follow up on that, guys, if you enjoyed this, check out the Last Row Podcast. It's an amazing podcast. Drew talked about it. There are links in the description. You can click on it now. Go ahead and follow it. And I want to let you guys know that KenCast, what we're doing now live, is now going to be in podcast form. You can follow KenCast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. Go ahead and follow KenCast. This should be up hopefully by Monday. I want to thank everyone for joining us today. Thank you for all your thoughts. And I agree, this is probably the most epic, in-depth <laughs> analysis of the next Karate Kid that exists on the internet. And guys, I have to say, I'm so honored to be a part of this. Thank, <laughs> thank, thank you so much. Thank Thanks so for much. having us. Subscribe yes. to Ken's podcast and leave a five-star review. <laughs> Absolutely. And if you're watching this and you're not subscribed to the channel, go ahead and hit subscribe, like, hit the notification bell. Do the same for the Last Row Podcast channel. We thank you all for joining us today, and we look forward to seeing you next time on both the Last Row Podcast and 
KenCast. We'll see you guys later. Want to be part of the live KenCast show? Subscribe to the Ken Cole YouTube channel and hit the notification bell to get alerts about every new show. Thanks for joining us, and we look forward to seeing you next time on KenCast. Mm-hmm.